now tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmarlroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. Okay, good morning, good morning, beautiful people. What is going on? Let's check in with X106.1 FM. Oh, KISS, what am I saying? It's KISS 106, not X. OMG, good morning, everybody. Good morning. What's up? You guys have me so confused. I was combining X and KISS in the name. (laughs) I love that. We're now one radio station. X106.71. How was your first day back? It was good. Yeah, it was nice. great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Did you, li- did you, well, how did you, well, you didn't listen. You were on the air. I know. You, you were busy too. Yeah. 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 It's, oh, I can't go back and listen. So. We did read uh, some of the comments. So we, we appreciate all the, the nice comments. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Good stuff. And the mean ones, we don't. I don't know if they're <laughs> the mean ones. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got to, you got to just go with the positive vibes. Ah, so today's Tuesday. 
Yep. Truthful um, Tuesdays. What's that? Truthful Tuesdays here in CMR. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. What are you being truthful about? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got uh, Alric Lindsay, who's going to join us a little bit later on the program. And um, Alric is going to be touching on a few things. Number one, gun violence, which is kind of after this weekend, a little bit of a um, hot topic, community discussion. We're also going to talk about all the crazy driving on our streets. Like, is there anything we can do to reduce the number of accidents that we're actually having? Speed bumps everywhere. Yes. I mean, that would be crazy, right? But (laughs) um, finally, you know, the G7 announced the decision a couple days ago about um, making some changes, this 15% tax across the board. And so we're going to dig into how that could potentially impact the Cayman Islands as well as other offshore jurisdictions. So lots of serious stuff. And then in the second hour of the program, we're going to talk about a case that has come on our radar about a lady who's alleged to have stolen a child. What? In Cayman? Yes, it is crazy. It sounds so crazy, but yes. Hmm. No yeah. way. How does that yeah. even happen? It's it's quite a sordid story. I mean, literally, when I was reading the file, it was like 17 pages of very detailed notes, and my brain was confused. It was so much information, but... Yikes. Everybody knows everybody. Well, the child isn't from here. The child is from Jamaica. So, ah. yeah, she took this child without going through the proper procedures and uh, was keeping the child certainly against his will and not in the most ideal conditions. It's kind of a crazy story. Wow. You want to go yeah. live on Kiss? Yeah. You ready? Crazy. Yes. Let's go oh, live. I we were live ready. Not yet. They're live with us. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Sandy, good morning. How are you? Hey, morning, guys. How you doing? We are good. What are the top news stories today for K-Man? What do you got? All right. So on the show today, we're going to be talking about gun violence in the Cayman Islands to see if we can come up with any solutions in terms of that. Um, road rage. What is going on with all the poor driving? It's like, you know, bumper carts or something. People are playing around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to have a look at that to see if, um, if there's really anything that can be done. What do you think uh, the answer is for that? Oh my gosh. I think it's a combination of things. Like most things in life, there's no one single answer. So, um, I think better... we need enforcement is good. <laughs> I think we need to deputize. Yeah, yeah. Well, enforcement is always on the tail end, but I think, um, just teaching people to be better drivers would help. Yeah, but that's what driver's ed is for. And, or like, yes. you know, when you learn to drive and it just doesn't seem if it just doesn't seem to be working. So what do you think about deputizing citizens? Cause I would just love to pull people over and give them tickets. Do you know how many people have, uh, dash cams? Yeah, in their car yeah that- dash cams are amazing, and I would recommend that all of us get one. And everyone um, should be posting that up online, and then you can all shame well, the drivers what? into driving um, better. I don't know. But it, when it, the RCIPS does their crackdowns, like they do yeah. certain programs, it's amazing how many tickets that they give out. They yeah, should just be doing that right now, actually. I mean, so what there, a what a revenue stream for the for the Cayman Islands government. Oh, 100 percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, definitely. And I think that Erin has a point when she mentions um kind of shaming people because we see people putting on makeup. Like I got a call the other day. Somebody's like, there's this woman who's been driving the entire way into town 
doing her makeup and this guy was driving with his son. His son's like, dad, what is that woman doing? And she's like swerving all over the road. So I think that enforcement helps with people like that who legit are just not paying attention and being distracted. I was late for work. I have to I was tell late you. for work and I'm so sorry that I did that. No, I'm joking. It wasn't. I, I don't I, even I'm wear gonna, makeup. I'm going to bring it up. I know it's a hot topic, but you know how they have those, uh, the, the speed indicators on some of the long stretches of roads. You, you mm-hmm. whiz by. Uh, sometimes you, you whiz by to try to see how high that thing will go. No. Not me. Yeah, well. um, <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying, though, is why not attach a camera to it? So if it, if it breaks the speed limit, they take your photo of your license plate, you get a ticket in the mail. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, that speeding is is one issue, obviously. Um, but I think a lot of it is just careless driving, like people not paying attention. They're mm-hmm. on cell phones. And some people legit don't know how to drive. Yeah. So I think the whole concept of driver's ed here needs to be redone and reinforced. We only have a couple um, private institutions, I think, that offer driving courses. But I think it should be part of like the high school curriculum. Totally. I, I 100% agree For with sure. that. I mean, you know, right there, um, right there in front of Grand Harbor, that roundabout, uh, you have people that are trying to go all the way around. So they're coming out of Grand Harbor and then yes. they're stopping in the middle of the of the roundabout yeah. waiting for a chance to get in. And you're like, no, I'm just going to smash into you when I come around you. Hot topic yeah. as well. Uh, and it's probably a longer conversation, but they're doing a, a an extra road from yes. King's Roundabout through um, Edgewater Way to the back in- entrance into in- into, Grand Harbor. into yeah like like Grand really? Harbor area really? yeah mm. and that's right by kind of where I live so right now it's a quiet street but it's just gonna have oh people God. zip through the neighborhoods where there's a lot of houses yes yeah. well I don't know if you guys saw this um, on the international news but I was watching this on UK news a couple of days ago there's been a real move to make a lot of areas um, in the UK just pedestrian only areas. So they're actually putting up cameras that you're talking about and they're trying to enforce this and blocking people during certain hours in particular from driving through there. And it's causing like a little bit of havoc because, you know, people are not happy. They don't want to get out of their cars and walk in the town area or whatever. And it's just like crazy how people think about usage of the roadways. Yeah. Um, So I think some of those attitudes, you know, kind of have to change as well. And I think stoplights could be helpful in some of the the major roundabouts like they do in the UK, just for traffic flow. Certainly Grand Harbor roundabout. Or people could just learn how to drive on a roundabout. Just stop and the the go the, it's like, we call that suicide circle, by the way. uh, Yeah. Roundabout. It's it's kind of a crazy one. Yeah. You know what? Um, To be fair, Blake, a lot of people don't know anything about roundabouts until they come here and then they're inundated with one every couple, <laughs> like, yield to the right. Or whatever. That's all you got to remember. Just yield to the right. Exactly. It sounds simple, but I'm yeah. telling go you, when there's a it's confusing. Go <laughs> when there's a dual lane roundabouts. No, my kids, they learned this in the car when, when I first started taking them to school and stuff and the traffic came back after lockdown. Yeah. Uh, they learn this and they scream it at the same time. It's like a game of Frogger. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That's just, oh, it frustrates me. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, don't accelerate through the roundabout. That's not, yeah. that's not when you're coming up on it. Yeah. No, just everyone yeah. just kind of, yeah. It's gotta, well, kinda, when you think oh. about the top, what would you say are the top three accident hotspots in Cayman? The A.L. Thompson's roundabout for sure. For totally. sure. Oh my yeah. gosh. Totally. That, um, the, um, what's the other one? Town. The Cricket Square, Bobby Tom Thompson, whatever that one's called. That one's a hot spot as well. 
I don't know, Eastern Avenue and Godfrey Nixon, because we used to be able to see that out of our old window and there would be a smash right there almost every day. Yeah, yeah because because the traffic, people blow that, that stoplight all, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway, so, so yeah, a lot that's, that's gonna be a lot or trying to go over double lines to cross from traffic. So like Jake Scott, when you're leaving that and you're trying to go over the double lines to the other side, it's like, no, you need to go around. You're just gonna get someone you're gonna get you're gonna either hurt yourself or someone else right. because not every car can see you coming through and it's a double exactly. line, so they don't expect you to come from that side. Yeah, that's gonna be a long segment for you today. Sorry. Yeah, so that's okay. And the <laughs> other big hot to topic on this end is um this case which we're gonna be talking about of um, a lady and her son, who her adult son, who are alleged to have stolen a child from Jamaica. So that one has been trending what? on social media. And that's so, here in Cayman? Yes. Wow. It's quite, that is crazy. Quite story. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, you know, you sit down for the weekend, you turn on Lifetime, and you see one of those movies that you think, wow, this is so crazy. This is like a Lifetime movie. And you the always bring stories. Have that, a child and then ends up taking all these kids. It's just so bizarre. And you always have stories, Sandy, that that other, you know, if it weren't for you, we would not know about half the stories that are happening. Yeah. Well, you know what, um, Blake and Aaron here on this show, we appreciate on this platform, generally speaking, that these are actually the stories that people want to hear about. People want to know, like legit, somebody has stolen a child and has attempted to steal other children and have had other children in her possession. Like, where does that even happen? But we don't think on a small island like this. That sort of thing happens, but um, in my job, I come across a lot of stories that really blow your mind. I mean, there's mm -hmm. one, we don't have time today to share it, but there's a murder um, that occurred of a young child many, many years ago in East End that, it, I mean, when I heard about it recently, I thought it was make-believe, like I legit didn't believe it. And I started checking some of the older people in their 70s and 80s who kn know the full story. And it's just Cold incredible. Case. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, we'll, we'll definitely keep in the loop. <laughs> Truthful Tuesday on CMR with Andy. Yeah. And we'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Thanks for being on. Awesome. Having this on as well. All right, Thanks, bye, guys. Bye. Have a good later. one. All right. So, folks, that is um, KISS 106.1. Um, we started this in case you missed yesterday's program. We're going to be uh, doing this in the mornings where we kind of check in with them and their audience, let them know what we're talking about here on CMR. Obviously, we're on at the same time. So um, you'll have to, you know, pop over, um, maybe listen to them for a little bit, pop over to us. Some people actually listen to two things at once. I have people telling me that they'll have, you know, they're watching something on the computer, they're watching something on the phone, they've got multiple things uh, going on at the exact same time. So if you can focus and do all that, then hey, hats off to you. Um, but those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about. We do have Alric Lindsay, who's going to be joining us this morning to talk about some of those things. So I don't want to get in too deep into the traffic discussion because he's definitely here to have that dialogue with us. And um, what else have we got? Yes, this child theft thing is just like a crazy story. I must admit that a lot of you like reached out to me privately and you're just like, is this story for real? And I hate to tell you, but it is for real. Like it's just that crazy of a situation. I never thought I'd see the day when anything like that would happen in Cayman. <sighs> but I tell you what, we, um, you know, we're, we're not the, the islands that time have forgotten any, any longer. We are the islands that get into everything and all sorts of crime. And it's unfortunate when that involves children, because as you guys know, 
I think protecting the children in our community as well as other communities has to be um, our focus at all times. And when you have people within your um, island, Caymanians especially, but you know, to me it would hardly matter, but it's, it is it is a bit more egregious as a Caymanian that I have to report when Caymanians are doing things like this. Um, it really is quite disturbing. So let us get back to our morning greetings that we do here in the program. So good morning to Morna. Marshall is here from North Carolina. Karen is joining us. Ervalyn from Savannah Newlands area. Uh, Damaris, good morning to you. Miss Jennifer is here. So good to see Miss Jennifer. Um, Oscar had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Oscar. I hope that Oscar is still celebrating his birthday. Looks like he had a good one. I saw what looked like a cheesecake from Treats um, on his uh, uh, desk there or table. So that's always a good time. They make some of the best cheesecakes. They're um, caramel cheesecake is to die for. Uh, Lily, good morning. How are you? Catherine is here. Carson, good morning. Lily, how were, how, uh, were your mangoes, by the way? Um, Lily got some mangoes um, off of our tree because we have the East Indian mangoes, which I don't eat for the record. But the same day, I went and got mangoes from Miss Iva <laughs> off of her tree. I think that was on Thursday, right? And, uh, oh, they were so good. And I ended up taking the, the leftover mangoes to Cayman Brack with me because I did not want them to ripen. Because you guys know after a mango has ripened, especially a local mango, I'm done with it. Like, I'm not eating a ripe mango. And um, <laughs> I ended up taking them. But even two days later, they were starting to ripen. Like, they ripen really quickly. So when I was in the pool on, I guess that was Saturday, I think we were at the pool um, at the Alexander, just having a little moment. There were some young boys in the pool having a frolic and having a good time. So I said, hey, would you guys like some mangoes? Because there were a few left and they were a little bit too ripe for me. And they were like, oh my gosh, yes. So I gave them the bag of mangoes and, you know, there's something about what well, wasn't salt water, it was pool water, but there's something about eating um, a mango in the sea or in water that is like so much fun as a kid. I'm sure you guys have a lot of memories about that, especially if you grew up here. And so, yeah, they absolutely um, loved it. They were like, oh, thank you so much. And they just ripped it open with their teeth and they had a fantastic time. So, um, so glad that we could pass on the goods to some other people. Good morning, Larry. Um, joining us from New York. Happy Tuesday. Hi, Tommy. How are you? Um, Mariah's here. She says the roundabout layouts are so inconsistent. Well, I don't know about that. We'll, we'll talk about that. I want to pull up a demonstration of how to actually use a roundabout because I've never seen an inconsistent roundabout, but what I find are inconsistent drivers who just don't know how to use a roundabout, but we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, oh, Lord. Catherine says the driving instructors themselves can't drive. Lord, that's not good. Roderick, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Roderick says, good morning, Sue. Um, Olivia's here. And Marie, Philip. Raymond, good morning, came out of a bypass. Uh, that one is the only roundabout that I feel for me isn't necessarily confusing, but you got to be extra careful because it's like a three-lane carriageway roundabout. So 
you got to really get in your lane and know what you're doing. And it's easy to be in the wrong lane getting into that roundabout, especially if you've never maneuvered it before. Or you just forget, you know, kind of you need to be in that certain lane if you're actually going to Caymana Bay. Mm, we'll talk about that one. Jasara and Indira, good morning. Rita is here. Thank you guys so much. Maria, Gladys, um, so nice to see you from Rotan. Thank you for tuning in. Miss Sue is here. Yes, we're going to talk about that situation with stealing somebody's child because it's just really, really weird and disturbing. And you have to wonder why. Why do you steal somebody's child? Uh, Janetta, Mitzi, Rosie, uh, Vernita, good morning to you. Romelia's here. Thank you so much. Buenos dias to Maritza. Uh, Rose is here from Atlanta, Georgia. Wow, first time joining the program. Well, good morning, Rose. Thank you um, for joining us. So good to see some new people checking in. And uh, Barbara is also here as well. So Ms. Rose, um, it is a, a free program in the sense that you know you can comment and join in if you'd like. I would like to remind all of you, hey, Daphne, how you doing? All the way from the UK, looking good, looking good. Uh, Richie is here. Good morning, Richie. Oh, yes. What are we drinking for tea this morning? Um, so he, him and his wife are enjoying their CMR mugs. So um, we're trying to get that other order on the way. But this morning, I am having some Earl Grey green tea. Mm, let me, I haven't tasted it yet. It's been seeping. Let me try it with a little tops of honey. It's good. It's good. So I added just a little tips of honey from um, our supply of honey from Jamaica. I feel like the honey's running out though. We got a couple bottles left. Um, but yes, that's pretty good tea. Um, so what tea are you guys drinking, Richie? Lily says the mangoes were delicious. You're most welcome. Uh, my husband claims that it's some of the best because he's apparently a mango aficionado. And he says that that tree that we have is some of the best East Indian mangoes that he's actually tasted. I'm like, hmm. almost tempted, but not really. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's so many varieties of mangoes. Our mango is not the most amazing um, fruit in the world. How many varieties of mangoes do you think there are? Oh, my gosh. There's a lot. Um, like there's Nam Duck. Let me see if we can figure this one out. Um, there's a lot of mangoes. So they say that mangoes originated from the region between Northwestern uh, Myanmar, Myanmar, Bangladesh, and Northeastern India. So it's been cultivated in South and Southeast India since ancient times, resulting in two distinct types of modern mangoes called the Indian type and the Southeast Asian type. Hmm. Okay. Um, worldwide, there's several hundred cultivars of mango. And a cultivar is an assemblage of plants selected for desirable characteristics that are maintained during propagation. Isn't that a new word that we learned today? A cultivar. And it is um, the most basic classification category of cultivated plants in the international code of nomenclature for cultivated plants. That's actually a thing. The ICNCP, who knew? 
Um, mangoes come in different sizes, shapes, sweetness, skin color, flesh color, which might be pale yellow, gold, green, orange. And it's actually the national fruit of India. I did not know that. Beautiful. And Pakistan. And it's the national tree of Bangladesh. So that certainly speaks to um, how much a mango is infused into their culture. So the English word mango, plurals mangoes with an E or without the E, originated from the Portuguese word of manga, which came from the Malay manga, M-A-N-G-G-A, probably ultimately from the Dravidian, which is Tamil. Tamil is, um, uh, there's Tamil people in like Sri Lanka, Northwestern Sri Lanka and um, South, Southern India. Um, and I know a little bit about the Tamil people because I told you guys I dated a guy from Sri Lanka. He's my first boyfriend. So his one parent was Tamil and one parent was Sinhalese. And it's, it's a big thing to have that happen because they have been at war. Those two cultures are not even cultures. They're just dividing themselves, but they've been at war for like a really long time. So it probably came from, it says the Dravidian languages, which is Tamil. Um, so mango tree plus K, which means fruit. Hmm. Okay. Well, I tell you what, they come in all different flavors and varieties. And, um, a lot of people here love like the Nam duck, the East Indian, um, and which other ones are really popular here. But for me personally, uh, there is no, uh, better mango in the world than just our local. I think we just, we have two kind of ones. We, one is like the local round mango. One's a local long mango. And I don't even know the difference between the two, honestly, because all I know is when I see the one that I like, I know it by its, how it looks and the smell. Mangoes have a different smell. So literally each variety of mango, like you could just make me smell a mango and not even show it to me. And I can probably eliminate and tell you which ones are not <laughs> my local mango. Yeah. Even when they're not ripe, they still have, they still emit a certain odor. And obviously they have different textures and they taste different. And I think for what I, the reason why I probably love my local mangoes, the reason, the thing, the way that I'm eating it, which is basically pickling it with like salt and pepper and sometimes vinegar, um, is, you know, I think the local mango is the best for that. So it says that, that many of the thousand plus cultivars are easily cultivated using grafted saplings ranging from turpentine mango um, to the bullet's heart. Dwarf or semi-dwarf varieties serve as ornamental plants and can be grown in containers. So mango is a whole, there's a whole life uh, surrounding the mangoes. And there are people who do graft mango trees. So they will um, almost create hybrids. You know, I was telling you guys that when I went to see Iva, she was actually saying to me that her, the mango tree that she's getting these mangoes from that I love so much actually produces three different types of mangoes on the one tree. And I'm like, what? So there is a method whereby you can, she didn't do it, but I don't know if grafting can like naturally happen. But somehow her tree has been grafted uh, where it actually has three varieties growing in different kind of areas. And I know about this because um, I tell you guys that my husband comes from a little bit of a farming background. 
And so his dad used to graft trees all the time. It's like a thing. You can come up with like a variety, almost a variation of a fruit by um, by grafting it and having two of the same, two um, mango types, for example, on the same tree, or in this case, three. It's very unusual, I think, to have three though. Um, Ivor mentioned that the agriculture department has come out and they're like, huh, this is really weird. Eh. Abigail, good morning. Luis, good morning from Guanaja. Como estas? So good to see you. Uh, Magdalena, good morning. Miss Carol says people don't understand merging. So maybe we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, into the outside lane to get off of the roundabout. They just cut across. I think that is one of the biggest reasons for accidents in a roundabout, for sure. Really, really, for sure. Ervalyn is drinking detox. You know, Ervalyn, when I was looking at my tea options this morning, I saw the detox one. I thought, mm, do I need to do that one? But I settled on the Earl Grey green tea instead. But I did think about the detox one for a minute. Uh, Vernita, so yes, throwing mangoes in the sea was so much fun. Plus, we wanted the people that can't swim to try to swim to get some if they wanted one. Um, it's a way of showing who's the best diver. Love it. Let me ask you guys something about this. Because the other day, somebody was saying something similar to me. Um, they were saying that, you know, every, everybody in Cayman says this. Every Caymanian's like, oh, when I was a kid, my dad just took us and threw, off, threw us off the dock and said, sink, um, sink or swim or whatever. How many Caymanian children actually drowned? I'm just wondering how this worked, right? The concept of an adult just throwing a kid off and saying sink or swim, um, in this day and age would probably be considered child abuse, but obviously it happened a lot back in the day. And I'm always curious, I know we've had people drown for sure, but I'm always curious as to how more people didn't drown in those circumstances. I'm sure parents were there. If your father did it, he's probably going to really save you if he saw you about to drown. But how does that work? I mean, did you, were you practicing before they just threw you off? So you probably knew how to swim more than you thought, or, you know, I don't know. Like I've always, I keep hearing people say, oh yeah, my dad would just throw us off and be like, okay, bye. And I'm like, really? But children drown every single day. So um, there was a there was a couple stories, you know, when you look at these old newspaper archives and stuff, there was actually a story about some kids who drowned. I don't know um, how many of you guys will remember this, but I think one kid drowned and then the other one might have drowned trying to save him or the dad drowned or something. But there are some stories in Cayman of people actually drowning legit in the water. So. Not everyone has learned how to swim or knows how to swim just because you are um, from an island, right? Um, on my Facebook memories, I just saw a picture come up of Kirky. Remember when Kirky had um, gotten sober and he's working at the gas station? But what whatever has happened to Kirky? I've not seen Kirky. This was 2017. Um, and it said that he was in recovery at that point, looking good. But um, whatever happened to Kirky, by the way, this is just a, an aside, but I haven't seen or heard anything from him in quite some time. 
So strange. Let me see here. So, let me see if I can pull this up. Um, yeah, has anybody else heard uh, or seen of Kirky? I mean, I just haven't seen him. Look at this picture. This is a little throwback moment. There he is. This was back in 2017. Anybody know what happened to Kirky? Huh. Uh, Miss Morn is having some ginger tea. Good morning, Miss Joy. Green tea with ginger from Himalaya. Nice. Mm-hmm. She says, the only thing that makes this taste better is a CMR mug. Well, guess what? I better put you in the mug list because um, you definitely need one of those. So I'm going to update my mug list right now. Put Miss Joy Basteo on the list. Uh, C.E. Banks, good morning. Good morning, uh, Gianni. No, Jenny, um, Gina. Is that Gina? Yes, I think that's Gina. I always want to say that her name is Gianni for some reason, but it's Gina. I think it's the same Gina that I'm thinking of. Uh, Felicia, good morning. Anne, good morning. Says, I would love your mug to sip my cafe from. So, Anne... Do we have you on the list? If not, let me make sure I add Miss Anne on the list. Uh, okay, so you're added to the list. Uh, Miss Anne agrees that the local mangoes are the best. Um, just catching up on some comments here. Good morning, Eddie. How are you? So, Miss um, Vernita said we put the green ones in. So we have the salt from the sea to mix with the salt. Hmm, okay. Yes, and there's something about salt. I was having this conversation with someone over the weekend. Um, there's something about salt and sweet things together that people like. That's why they like watermelon, like sprinkling on salt. And this woman was saying, while we were in the brack, she was like, you know, if you take a little bit of salt and you sprinkle it on a watermelon, it really brings out the flavor of the watermelon. Now, I have never um, done that in my life. I've never sprinkled salt in a watermelon. I, I know that people do it. Uh, Buenos dias, Alba. And I have seen people um, doing it, but I personally have never done it. I don't know why. Um, I think it's just habit. Like sometimes the things you grew up doing or you grew up being exposed to are the things that you just take into adulthood and that you continue to enjoy doing. And uh, maybe one day I'll try it, but I don't really feel like I should be adding any additional sugar to my diet. Um, not sugar, um, not of that either, but any additional salt. Miss um, Vernita is drinking turmeric this morning. Hi, Jackie. Um, so Louise said that was something more of a tradition. Nobody drowned. The parents are always on standby. Yeah. Um, Amelia says someone did it to her, a friend, and she was, it was the most frightening experience. I don't know that it is, um, the best way to learn how to swim because the last thing you want to do is put the fear of the water or swimming into people. I think children naturally are unafraid of water and they love water. Um, they like being in water, like bath water and whatever, but there are certain things that I think you can do to um, instill fear in children when it comes to being around the water and probably just throwing them in 
without proper preparation in my mind would be like the scariest thing in the world. But apparently a lot of parents did it back in the day. There was definitely no handbook on how to raise kids back then. Um, Gabby, I've added you to the mug list. No problem. Good morning, David. Um, says morning Cayman Islands, best in the world. Thank you so much. Joining us from London at Jean Scott says learn to swim as part of the PE and Cayman Brack. Speaking of Cayman Brack, um, did you guys know that, remember that facility I was talking about yesterday that has been sitting there for about 10 years. It's never been used this multi-million dollar facility. No one could figure it out even in terms of why it was built, because obviously there was no use purpose for it if it could go 10 years and not be used. It was finally used by Juliana this weekend. But do you guys know that this um, facility has a multi-purpose, like it actually has a pool that I understand from all of my sources is an Olympic size pool on the came on, on the back. So everybody has said to me, how does the BRAC get an Olympic-sized pool? And we don't even have one of those here on our island. Listen, I don't know how to explain it to you. All I know is the BRAC has a multi-purpose facility. That's what this thing is being called. And there it includes an Olympic-sized pool. No Olympians on the brack yet, but they're the ones with the Olympic-sized pool. Hmm. Vernita says, in my time of swimming, when they push people off and say, sink or swim, when they see that you can't swim, someone would come to help you. <laughs> well, Vernita, didn't they know before pushing you off that you couldn't swim? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Miss Sue says it's a terrible way to learn to swim um, and you're terrifying them. Um, Jean says that facility was supposed to be a hurricane shelter. Okay. Hmm. Um, Kevin says back in the day, uh, it was swim or drown. I learned to swim at five. So are you saying, Kevin, that as a five-year-old, they literally just push you in the water and say, you better, you better start swimming. That would be very scary. Uh, for a five-year-old? Now, I think that the sooner you learn to swim, the better. There is evidence of babies um, not necessarily being like, you know, proper swimmers, but knowing that when they're in the water, even if they're face down, there's absolutely no need to panic. Have you guys seen those videos of like baby babies that they just know to like kind of paddle and then flip over and float. And they know how to get to like the edge of the pool and to get in and out. I think that those are always the most amazing uh, videos. But let me see if I can find one to show you. Yes, so apparently um, it's a thing and you can teach very young babies and there's a method, there's an actual um, survival method that people use um, in case an infant just accidentally, you know, fall into the water, 
they know what to do. And their babies, like I said, babies really take to water. There's like, you know, babies like swimming under the water and the whole nine yards. Let me see if I can pull one up for you guys. Because this is so interesting. Um, yeah, here, here's this little one. I'm going to show you guys this because this is so amazing. Good morning, Alric. Give us one second. We're going to jump in and talk about all the traffic woes here. And Alric's going to have some solutions. So Alric is going to be talking about traffic, gun violence, and what's going on with the G7. He's going to break that down for us and explain that one um, so that we have a better understanding of uh, exactly what is going on. So give me one second. I want to show you guys this because I think this thing with baby swimming is like amazing. Uh, you just have to know what you're doing and you have to get them started, I think, as soon as possible. So check this out. Isn't this amazing? Oh.
Okay, go to mom. Go to mom. Rest. So I think the key really um, with this is that um, you start young and you're just consistent like anything else in life. Uh, you know, that baby has had a lot of water time, as you can see. It looks like from the second she came out, literally, they had her around water, pool water, even the ocean water, which is very, very interesting because a lot of kids... Um, outside of an island don't necessarily get exposed to the ocean because sometimes it's not easy for people to get them to an ocean. So a lot of people are saying um, that the um, facilities here are great for learning how to swim. Um, there's a couple swimming programs here on island, which I think is wonderful. So yeah, I mean, that baby, you saw her under the water like nothing within a short period of time, but notice how they progressed with her. Um, they played games. So even before she could utter a word, you know, they had her in the water. Um, they had her dunking her under and notice every time she came up before she went under, the mom would kind of blow in her face because they're trying to make it fun, but not only fun, but she knows that when she gets the blow in the face, what's coming next, she's going to be dunked. So it's not entirely a surprise after the first two times, probably, um, and that's just a pattern. So that's how babies learn certain things, right? So they put patterns uh, together. So that's like super, super interesting. And um, clearly her parents love the water and they wanted to make sure that she had the ability um, to be safe around the water and at least know how to swim to the edge of the water and probably help, help herself a little bit. But I agree with um, whose comment was that, Kevin, that adults should always be present around children in the water, because honestly, a lot of times you think that um, children's abilities to swim is so much more, just like some adults, a lot of adults over, um, I think this is, this is that, that uh, syndrome that I keep telling you guys about, which I can't remember right now. It's an, it, like, I'm literally seeing the words, but it's not popping through to my mouth. Um, the Dugan whatever syndrome, where people always think that they're better at something than they actually are. Um, and you're not, is the bottom line. Um, so, you know, teach children 
to swim as, uh, I guess, quickly as you can. Uh, it's one of the things that's on my list because my daughter likes the water, but she's already at the age now where she doesn't want her face getting wet. Like she, she cause no one has been dunking her under the water. And I'm looking at this video going, yeah, we should have been doing that from day one. Cause now she would be like, Oh, I don't want water in my face. And I'm like, you do know it's okay. But you see that child, like she keeps her eyes open under the water and it's like, she's, you know, it's not a problem for them to hold their breaths, but they have to kind of know what they're doing. I think the longer you wait, honestly, the more that fear factor will build. So that's why teaching kids to swim at a younger age is a much better idea. As Steven chimes in on that Olympic sized pool in Cayman Brack, and he says, I saw this pool on the Brack and I was confused as to why it was so lavish until it was pointed out to me that it was next door to a certain MLA. Figured it would raise property value. Hmm. That's the first I'm hearing that bit of tea. On that note, let me sip some of my Earl tea because if that's true, all I can do is sip the cold hard truth because that's crazy if that's true. But anyway, um, Catherine started teaching her daughter to swim at two. Um, uh, Jean says the poor back children had to train and was not even 15 meters. And we've been training to get this 20. We've, we have been trying to get this 25 meter pool for over 20 years. Well, apparently hasn't this one been there for like 10 years now? Well, the facility has been there for a while. Um, so thank you, Maria, Louis Magdalene says fitness connection has a good swimming program for babies. There's quite a few, um, on Island now, but they're always so busy and booked up. Good morning, Mr. Walton. Uh, Maria says that her grandson went through swimming classes at nine months and I almost had a heart attack watching him being thrown into the water. Yes, David. I love watching those little babies swim. It is amazing. Carson says her pamper was keeping her floating. <laughs> oh, speaking of pampers, um, here's a mommy and daddy moment, right? So recently we were at a pool um, and the kids were in the little, like this pool had a separate little section, like a little round bit that wasn't, was quite shallow where adults would just like sit in that section, right? But it was great for some of the younger kids. And um, one of the little girls had an accident. So not the kind that you want to have in a pool. So then uh, her brother runs over, mommy, mommy, whatever the little girl's name, she just poo-pooed. And it was like, oh, you know, my immediate reaction was like, Gigi, get out the pool. <laughs> the pool is infested. And then I was trying to discreetly keep her out of the pool the rest of the time. And she wasn't quite understanding why. So this is one of those moments when, you have to like whisper in your child's ear, like, okay, this is what's really going on. That little child just pooed in the in the in the pool, which means it's probably contaminated with like feces. And we don't want to get that in your mouth, eye, skin. You know, it's kind of nasty right now. And then she's like, Oh, okay. But five minutes later, can I go to the pool? I'm like, no. <laughs> so um, kids, they don't understand a lot of things really, but anyway. Um, doggy paddle. Yes. David says on the topic of guns and violence. All right, let's get into that. We do have, um, Senor Alric, who's been patiently waiting. Good morning, Alric. How are you? Good morning. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Um, how was your week? Week is good so far. Um, Beautiful. I'm just waiting to hear all the exciting Mall Road news. Yes. Well, you know, over the weekend, Alric, we had two gun-related incidents. Um, one was um, a shooting on Friday night. Was it Friday night or Sunday night? Hold on. When was the 5th? So early in the early hours of Saturday morning, really, um, there was a man, a young man who was shot um, in the thigh. It got very close to his other parts, apparently. So the, the original story what it was that he'd actually gotten shot in the gonads, but he was fortunate and it just uh, went in the thigh instead. Not life-threatening, thankfully for him. Um, and that happened at Jungle Bar on West Bay Road. And then by yesterday morning, uh, a lot of people were messaging, why is the street uh, quartered off by... Um, what's the name of um, Dump Road is basically what we call it. I think it's properly called Seymour Drive. And a lot of people were inquiring about that. And evidently what was going on there is that um, there was another shooting on um, basically Sunday morning where this young man was actually shot at least five times. So this is crazy. Uh, and again, you know, the police, the report is that two males were at the location with several other persons nearby. They're approached by another male carrying a firearm who fired several shots at them. One of the men was grazed in the head uh, with a bullet and the other male received multiple gunshot wounds. And um, obviously, the emergency services attended the, the scene. He was transported to the hospital. And he's been treated for serious injuries. He remains in critical but stable condition. And the other one um, left in a private car. And it doesn't appear that he was seriously injured. But my God, being grazed in the head. Now, CMR sources indicated that he was shot five times, although the police have not uh, confirmed or said that. Um, sorry, was that a sneeze, Alric? Yes, it was. Okay, bless you. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what that was. But um, yeah, reports are that he was shot um, at least five times in the upper arm, right side of the armpit, three in the leg, and... Um, uh, something about a broken ankle. So I, I don't know if the bullet caused his ankle to break, but anyway, it sounds like a hot mess and he's probably very fortunate to be alive. There's very few people in this world who can say that they've been shot five times and they're still alive. So this young man um, definitely has some kind of angel on his shoulders that night. Uh, so Alric, what is your take on gun violence? Um, obviously it isn't anything new. And we seem to, um, within a certain section of the community, we seem to be ill-equipped to address it. So give us a synopsis on, on what you think, um, you know, some of the underlying causes are. Well, I think that people who are not in the environment where people are, people are having a tough time, where people are struggling, they may see it as a surprise that we have so many guns and increase in violence. But for for some of us, it's nothing new. Uh, for example, you probably know that my brother 
was involved in a, a gun-related incident when I was young. So mm -hmm. uh, that's what I'm saying. It depends on what environment you're exposed to. So I have known a lot of people to, young people to have guns, mm -hmm. but not use them. But it seems that and increasingly we're seeing people resort to actually using the weapon rather than just saying i have it just you know j just to to boast that they have it it's, so it's no longer about talking about having the gun and and being tough they're actually starting to use the the weapon on a more uh, frequent basis mm -hmm. i'm not a sociologist but um they're obviously all the pressures that these young people are now facing. I, I can't justify someone shooting another person. There's really no justification unless you're, the court is finding that you've done something in self-defense legally. Um, I, I can't, I couldn't justify one human shooting another human for, for any reason, unless it was uh, legal self-defense. But there are a lot of factors that are placing pressure on people locally. And you see stuff like people being unemployed, can't feed their families, and then they're using that weapon to go rob someone else so that they could provide for themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, being hungry is not an excuse to use a gun and go harm someone else. But cer certainly there are these other pressures that are in operation that is causing some people to make bad decisions. One, one, one part of the equation can be solved by creating more opportunities for people and putting them in a better economic situation, giving them hope. That's only one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is that some people are just going to make bad decisions and they are going to go out there and, you know, commit these gun crimes. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there are two parts of the equation and however you look at it, you can't really make a, an excuse for the gun violence. Now, I've heard of ways that people have been bringing guns into Cayman for years. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember those old stereos, those radio stereos. I used to hear how people used to put the guns inside those um, stereos and bring them in. Um, we've heard it. We have heard very many different ways that people have smuggled guns in. I, I guess, you know, one of the things that always drew my attention to the gun issue is that when we have a visitor bringing in a gun, mm -hmm. I, I often see newspaper articles talking about the visitor being able to go free or go back to their country on, exactly. the, basis that, on the basis that they have a license in their country. Uh, I've seen customs finding bullets and people's suitcases and some of those people I understand 
have been allowed to go back to their country with no consequences. Mm-hmm. Now, when I speak to some people in the court system, they're saying that I have a wrong impression of what's happening mm. because some of those people are actually being prosecuted. However, when we read the newspaper, mm-hmm. we see that quite a few of those people are being allowed to go back home without punishment. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. Let me just clarify that, um, Alric, for the benefit of our listeners. They're being prosecuted, all right, but they're still walking away with a fine. They're not getting seven years or 10 years, which is the two options um, for a Caymanian that's found with a gun. And I'm not saying that I have an issue with that because I think the, the message has to be very, very clear that anyone who engages in gun violence or anyone who even has a possession of a gun, um, that presents an opportunity for them to then, you know, utilize that gun or to have that intent. So I, in principle, agree with minimum sentences, but I do also agree that it should be applied across the board. So let's take, for example, uh, one of the last cases to to go through the courts and um, Justice Chappelle, no disrespect to him, but I don't know how he came to the conclusion that he did in the case of David, um, uh, I'll have to look up his name here in a second, but this gentleman essentially had um, guns, firearm, all sorts of things um, in his possession in a container. Now, they always have these excuses about, you know, they didn't know uh, what was in the container, this, that, and the next thing. Um, Regardless, we've seen them prosecute very, very vigorously Caymanians who uh, were found in similar situations, a gun actually found in their home. And, um, you know, they're, they're prosecuted and they're sent to jail. Um, so I, I don't get the logic um, of how he walks away after stealing away from the jurisdiction, absconding because he was allowed to, to leave and then he refused to come back to be prosecuted. So his case was eventually heard by, I guess, live stream or whatever. And he literally got a slap on the wrist. This is a multimillionaire who got away with like nothing, got a slap on the wrist. And there have been other instances of this happening as well. Um, You know, so it's, it's just absolutely crazy that there is two systems of justice, one for locals, and I have no issue with the one for locals, but I think that that one should be applied across the board. I'm going to tell you what this guy's name is. His name is David. Uh, he was the one who um, was um, he had this home in the Brock. But anyway, um, I'll, I'll get his name here in a second. But yeah, he David Meadows. You know, he literally got away with like nothing because the judge saw. Um, exceptional circumstances apparently which i was just like that's that's crazy um so he got a thirty thousand dollar fine for having gun and ammunition david meadows 56 year old and a u.s national who had (coughs) let me let me just remind people what it was imported a handgun and 250 240 rounds of ammunition And somehow he managed to avoid the mandatory minimum sentence of seven years for possession of an unlicensed firearm after the judge claims that he found exceptional circumstances. He left the jurisdiction in 2018 while on bail for claiming health reasons 
and never returned. So eventually um, in March of this year, he had his um, trial by Zoom and Justice Chappelle said that um, he was taken into consideration the circumstances of the offense and the offender together with grounds to waive the mandatory jail term. And he instead imposed a collection of fees that will total about $45,000, which is nothing to this man because obviously he's a millionaire. So the facts around that is that in 2016, he arrived in Cayman Brack to begin working on his multi-million dollar um, dream house. And he brought with him a Glock 9mm handgun in his checked luggage. And then over a year later, the ammunition was found by customs in a shipping container among the materials actually imported for his house. He was arrested. He admitted having the handgun, saying that it was for protection while at sea on his boat. Imagine that. And he was subsequently charged. So the case dragged on for four years. I mean, this is unbelievable. You've seen Caymanians with a stellar record, professionals, et cetera, who are caught with firearms and their fate is, okay, we'll see you in seven, in seven years. Uh, one of the cases that comes to mind was um, back in 2013 when a CUC linesman was jailed for seven years for holding onto a gun, which he said he had found in the bushes. So... I'm glad that you brought that up, um, Alric, because unfortunately that doesn't bode well with me that there seems to be two separate standards by which we operate. So if, if we're going to have this very strict policy of, of um, gun ownership in the Cayman Islands, because there are ways in which you can legally own and possess and use a gun, but it's extremely strict conditions, has to be approved by the police. It's not the American model where anyone can just, you don't have a right to bear arms in that sense. But what what is it um, that we're saying when we have a judiciary that seems to have, you know, anyone who's a tourist, a visitor, or even a resident here now, as was proven by this David Meadows case, that is found with an ammunition, they get a pass. There was another case that I brought up that landed me in court where, you know, that man, um, a firearm was found in his residence, a shotgun here in a multi-million dollar house, and he was never even charged. The police and DPP's office made the decision not to charge, which makes me wonder how many of those types of cases that we don't know about because they never even make it to court. Yeah. Well, as you know, uh, many of the judges are also uh, foreign judges. So, you know, I don't know what's motivating them to treat Caymanians differently uh, from the foreign visitor that's coming in with ammunition or guns. We can see the results of the case from the news article. So it's not that we're making it up. It's right there in our face where I, I know a guy, for example, uh, his house was, was um, searched uh, for something else. And then they found the unlicensed firearm. Now, whether he intended to use it, I don't know, but he was then arrested and now he's spending a couple years in Northward Fort. Now you compare that to someone who's coming in on a flight, deliberately bring in the licensed firearm and then being told that you know, since you have a license overseas and uh, or 
due to your poor health and the hardship that would be caused by you going to jail, we're, we're going to let you go back to your country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that there should be a level playing field. If Caymanians are going to prison for five years, for seven years, 10 years for possession of an unlicensed firearm, then I think the same sentence has to be applied for those people who bring arms into the Cayman Islands, uh, you know, even, even if they are on a tourist uh, visit, that it has to be applied across the board because if it's not applied across the board, it simply means that there is a thought process within our judiciary that the Caymanians should go to jail and other people should not. And I think that that's a dangerous precedent to set. If that is a precedent that our judiciary is setting, then it is a, it is a very, very dangerous precedent to set. Now, like I say, people tell me from the court system that what we see in the newspaper is is blown out of proportion. So what we see is that the Caymans are going to jail and the visitors are not going to jail for the same offense. What I'm being told by people in the court system is that the newspapers are blowing that out of proportion. So mm-hmm. I think what we should do is we should probably go and research and, and get this data over the past five years, probably do an FOI, get this data over the past five years to see um, how, how many arrests have been made for uh, unlicensed firearm or any other firearm offenses and how many convictions have been made and what is the nationality of all those persons and what were, what were the circumstances where they're visitors or were they resident here. I think if we do that research, then we can come back to the public and show whether or not there is a, a real bias between how Caymanians are treated with gun offenses and how foreign visitors are treated with the same gun, offense, gun offenses. Overall, I would like to see a level playing field. I don't want Caymanians to be treated differently for the same offense and they go to jail while others go free. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's a good exercise for us to do, get that data and report back to the public. Yeah. But I mean, that's obviously one one issue that is um, concerning. Uh, Kevin says that he actually had a friend who was shot 11 times and apparently survived, which I think is amazing. <laughs> I mean, um, I guess it's just a matter of, of where you where you get shot, right? But what do you think, um, David says, on the topic of gun and violence, Cayman needs to get a grip with these negative developing plagues on our islands, which will destroy us to date um, in 2021. Jamaica has almost 600 murders. There's no way we want to follow that trend. Very disappointing situation. So there is an influence. I mean, we cannot deny um, that there is an influence regionally from, um, you know, um, this influence. So we pick up a lot of the Jamaican culture because Caymanians are very uh, intrinsically linked to Jamaica. A lot of us have family members um, that are Jamaicans. Uh, you know, we, we're just, 
<laughs> in some ways we are a subsection um, of Jamaica. Uh, we're close family, a lot of intermarrying, um, historical links that date back when we were actually under Jamaican rules, so to speak, um, before we decided to stay with the the U.S. and not um, the U.K. Sorry, and not go independent um, with Jamaica. But you know, there's there's physical connections. So, for example, Jamaica. One of the issues they have is that guns coming from Haiti, and they're constantly trying to slow down the flow of guns from Haiti. But in Jamaica, guns apparently are very readily available to the criminals. Um, and recently we saw a man whose life was allegedly taken because the criminals are trying to get access to his legal firearm. So even in Jamaica, you're targeted if you have a legal firearm because they will kill you just to get that firearm. So how do we, I guess one, one question is, is part of the solution curtailing the influx of weapons into the country? And we've seen uh, two, I guess, primary sources of entry. Jamaica uh, coming in on the boats uh, with the drugs, normally they're, they're shipping weapons as well. And also we've seen a few people attempt to send weapons from the U.S. Uh, there was that case about them being in containers. So those are two possible paths. Um, obviously, Cayman is a hub for a lot of um, direct flights. So we have Honduras and other jurisdictions. So theoretically speaking, it's possible for guns to come in from any of those locations. But I think practically speaking, most people would have to admit that the vast majority of our weapons are actually coming by way of Jamaica when the um, when the the drugs are also being brought in. So one potential solution, I suppose, Alric, is for us to really clamp down as much as we can on the importation of weapons into this country. But also, when was the last time we had a gun amnesty? So people who have guns on island and they, um, you know, might want to get rid of it, what are their options to do so other than just throwing it in the bush and maybe somebody else will find it? I, I think the gun amnesty is the best idea uh, for, for right now to try to take some of the guns off the street. Uh, the, the issue with trying to strengthen what's happening at the borders is that, I'll give an example of what happens in the prison. Um, sometimes we have people who, who get convicted, they get deported and we talk about people coming back to Cayman under different IDs, on the, on the false IDs. So that's one thing. But the, the other thing that we ha have a very tough time controlling is the guys who are coming in on the canoes. So they're coming here illegally, undetected by uh, border or border patrol. So use that as an example. There is always going to be a way that they're going to find to bring the guns in. If it's not gonna come in on a container, usually it's gonna come in, uh, it could come in on you know, a legal flight. It could come in uh, via one of those canoes as well. So I understand you know, our, our borders are increasingly protected now with, um, with Coast Guard. So I don't know how many members the Coast Guard currently has, but it would seem that to to detect the guys that are coming in on the canoes, 
possibly with guns. We we know they're bringing ganja, for example, but um, if they're also bringing guns, I think that we have to boost our our Coast Guard or or try to find out, you know, how it is that we could help our Coast Guard to help to detect uh, the, the legal guns coming in by the by the canoes. I you know, other than other than that illegal way of bringing in the guns. The only other way that I can see the guns coming in is if maybe one officer is facilitating this happening. I'm not sure if it is happening, but you know it, it is possible that some of these guys may have friends uh, within the, the relevant department that might be facilitating this. Like I said, I don't know if that's true, but mm -hmm. it, it is possible. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there are the social issues surrounding um, why people think that they even need access to guns. So for example, you know, a lot of our young people are walking around um, thinking that this gangster lifestyle is one that they um, aspire to. What in your opinion are some of the ways in which we can address that part of it? Because listen, if, if someone isn't inclined to have a gun, you know, they don't think they need a gun for protection or um, to use against someone else, then that eliminates the issue. So I guess the real source of the problem is why do we have young people wanting to get involved in criminal activity? You talked about the environment that our children are growing up in. Um, are children growing up in environments in the Cayman Islands where they have a real fear of um, violence or not only, not only that they have a real fear of violence, but where they find that it might be, you know, kill or be killed type of mentality. So um, Ms. Sue says most definitely right, Alric, this is a wrong. Uh, Balika says that the judiciary needs reform. The DPP needs proper accountability. Uh, there's a perception that Caymanian lives and freedom are all cheap. Thanks CMR for staying on top of this. Um, Sue says that it's getting worse. Good morning, Miss Sophia. Natasha don't, says, don't forget the U.S. for their whole, um, don't forget the U.S. for their gun violence. I mean, yeah, the U.S. culture is very, very um, much about, um, you know, the right to bear arms. Um, Magdalena, thank you so much. Uh, she says, there's no doubt that these um, biases exist. Caymanians are arrested under suspicions incarcerated until trial and expats get to be held up in their homes or even allowed to go back to their home countries. Uh, Marshall says, didn't Sheldon Brown shoot Mr. Martin seven times some years ago in Savmai Road? He's still alive. So I guess it all depends on where you get shot. <laughs> so making the point again that um, you can definitely be shot multiple times and survive for sure. I mean, you can be shot once and you're dead. So um, without, without a doubt, um, Elizabeth thinks passing ships and drones are bringing it in. I don't know if they're as sophisticated as drones yet, but maybe. Uh, morning, Miss Iva. Carson says straight talk, Alric. So when we talk about this mentality amongst our young people who believe that they need a gun, how do we address that mentality? Um, I mean, I, I know that you... You, you focus on Jamaica, but remember that Cayman says it has over a hundred and something different nationalities and cultures represented here. So you know there's a lot of gang culture 
in uh, Central America as well. And I think the gang culture made it to Cayman a long time ago when some of us thought that gangs didn't exist in Cayman. Gang culture did exist in Cayman from a long time ago. So I think one of the things is that we're pretending it doesn't exist when it's actually there. And as you know, young people join gangs for different reasons, you know, just to feel accepted, uh, to feel wanted. So there are a lot of reasons that young people end up in gangs. Obviously, you know the issues uh, surrounding women in Cayman where some women don't feel like they have proper protection either by the police or by the courts. So you can probably understand why some women might start to think that they need to protect themselves and they may start to arm themselves at some stage because it doesn't seem sometimes that the courts um, or, or the police take the, the violence against women in a serious way. You know, some of these guys end up getting a fine and the, the woman ends up having to suffer physically and mentally for the rest of her life. So there probably are legitimate reasons why some people in case of women, for example, like I mentioned, might start to see the need to arm themselves. There are probably other reasons that are legitimate. But having, having said that, um, Alec, let, let's think about historically what has happened. I've never known of a situation. I stand to obviously be corrected because I don't like to use exclusive words like never and that sort of thing. But um, can you think of a situation where a woman has um, shot a man? I mean, most women resort to stabbing because I think that's more domestic situations and that's what they can easily get their hands on. By and large, the gun violence that we see in this community is um, young men. I mean, I've even heard of situations where uh, a lot of these gangs share guns um, in the bushes and people have lost their lives because they didn't put the gun back. So they have like a community usage sort of situation going on where, um, you know, they put a gun, say, under the, the mango tree, Sandy's favorite mango tree in the neighborhood. And that becomes like the spot where everybody knows you go and you use that gun to commit robberies or, you know, try to kill somebody or scare somebody or whatever else. But the understanding is you put the gun back because it's being used by different members of your quote unquote gang. And evidently there's some people who haven't returned the gun as they were supposed to and have lost their life because of it. So, I mean, women and guns, I don't know that that's an issue. Um, I take your point that maybe if women are feeling like they don't have any protection, they might eventually resort to that. But I've not seen, I haven't seen that happening. Um, so it does make me wonder, uh, what is it about young men? Because it seems like it's tied into young men, um, by and large, um, and this whole mentality that they're in, they're in a, um, they're in a, a gang or they're in some sort of, you know, constant turmoil with people where they're going to be involved in that type of activity. Well, I think the question we need to ask is, why is it that so many young men feel that they need to be part of uh, the gang culture to 
be accepted um, in Cayman. I think it's, it's probably a much deeper question that, mm-hmm. you know, way above my, above my pay grade. I think perhaps a sociologist need, needs to look at that question and try to give us some more insight into that. It's, it's nothing new. Yeah, but these are the tough questions that politicians have to deal with. I mean, people, you've ran for political office, so you know that that you know the constituents are sitting there going, "Well, what what's the solution? Um, Are we listening to the sociologists? I mean, we have people like Dr. Frank. Obviously, that is his profession. That's what he has been trained in. But how many qualified sociologists do we have in this community?" Um, that we're listening to. We are ordering reports from overseas. This is what we do um, from people who understand gun violence in the U.S. I'm not saying that some of those same principles may not apply in the Cayman context, but there's probably some very unique elements to violence in Cayman and in the Caribbean that um, just isn't uh, being recognized. Uh, And a lot of it starts from quite frankly, Alric, dysfunctional families. So there are some children who are more likely to be part of violence in general, gun violence, because they grew up in environments where that is their norm. And it's like the father was a gangster. So the son is automatically going to be exposed to that. And he's going to become a gangster too. From your own personal experience, you talked about having a brother. Um, does your brother still live in Cayman, by the way? No, he lives in Jamaica now. Oh, okay. But you you talk about this brother who um, was, I guess, for better, for lack of a better word, who was a gangster himself. So what, what was different about him versus Alric Lindsay? You both grew up in the same household, the same parents. So what do you think was different between the two of you that made your life story different than your brother's? Well, I, I made a conscious effort to not be around the the normal crowd that would go in that direction. So I I started playing squash as a sport for Cayman. You know, other people played football, tennis, whatever it is. The thing is, sports allowed me to to uh, be a part of a different environment, at least when I wasn't at home. I was in a different environment, traveling, representing Cayman, being exposed to, you know, a, a lot of positive encouragement being around people who are lawyers and accountants and doctors on a daily basis and visibly seeing how things could be different. Um, you know, some of it was just deemed financial success and where where I could be one day. I, I could see it all around me when I was outside my neighborhood because I was exposed to this whole squash world. Now, I think Cayman has a lot of opportunities for young people to be involved in different things. And I think in my case, it was a, in my case, it was a con, it was a conscious choice to be in a different environment where I was exposed to a lot of positive things. Mm -hmm. Having said that, when you look around at my neighbors, you still see some of my friends who have, some of them have been to prison. You know, some of them are still wearing an ankle bracelet right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some of them recently gone back to prison. So it's, it's I think it's a 
it's a much bigger question than here's an opportunity. It's available to you. Go and explore it. You can be a better person. Mm -hmm. I think that is there. It's obviously there. There are opportunities for us to be better, to be involved in a lot of programs and came out. But there seems to be a much bigger issue, a much bigger social issue that is pressuring these these young men or or as a result of various social circumstances that these young men feel pressured to make uh, bad decisions. I, I think the dysfunctional family element that you mentioned, yes, I think that's part of it, but why is the family dysfunctional? Is mm -hmm. it partially because of the economics of Cayman and you know who actually benefits from economic opportunities in Cayman and who could who can therefore um, put themselves in a situation you know where they're self-motivated, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a very complex question. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a single answer for it because if you say we should expose them to to more programs, more opportunities, then someone's going to respond and say, there are actually a lot of programs and opportunities. And then you have to go back to what is then the deeper, deeper rooted issue. And it's probably, you know, social, uh, psychological and, and economic. I think it's more complex than it's sometimes presented. Uh, so I, I hope that, you know, we will start to pay attention to things like I remember listening to Dr. Frank McField, for example, over the years, uh, talking about the breakdown of the family and how people are socialized in the Cayman Islands. But I think that when Dr. Frank spoke in those days, I think he was basically ignored. And then you see some of the things that he talked about actually happening in Cayman, you know, the breakdown of the family, and we see how people are actually socializing Cayman now. So I think that we need, that there, there are also reports that were produced many years ago. Um, I can't, can't remember the year, but there was a report talking about uh, high school students and how they could, they were kind of diagnosed as being some young people who could potentially continue to get themselves into trouble. So reports were presented to, to past governments about the risk of uh, certain students, if they continued along a certain path, that they could become a part of the environment of crime. And as the report suggested, those things happen. So we need to mm -hmm. stop, we need to stop shelving reports. Stop, stop paying for all these expensive reports, shelving them, and not dealing with the issues that are presented in those reports. Mm -hmm. So some of it is not that opportunities are not available to our kids, but that issues are identified by professionals and not acted on. So that's, that's a, a seriously big issue we have to look at as well, the lack, to, the lack of will. The, the lack, you know, to take the next step to actually help our youth. 
Thank you um, for those comments, Alric. We have a few um, additional comments coming in. So Sarah says that they lead they need to legalize. Um, I guess that is that supposed to be marijuana that she's saying. Mace. Mace. Oh, mace. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't. Um, that's not how I would spell mace. But anyway, okay. I think that's why she had me a little bit confused. There. I'm like, what is that that she's spelling? Um, legalize mace. Um, again, I don't think that the issue that we're talking about here, um, for example, the two incidences that happened over the weekend, two young men being shot. I don't know that that has anything to do with women, um, first of all, and the safety of women. These are just guys who don't know how to um, resolve conflict. And they think that the best thing to do is just to, to shoot each other. <laughs> I mean, they think that that's, that apparently is the solution. Um, parents, you know, having children that are out of control. So one um, WhatsApp commenter says the guns that are coming by boat, mostly from Jamaica, um, sometimes two to three Jamaican canoes come every week with drugs and guns. And unfortunately, the Coast Guard is not proactive in these patrols and their patrols. They are reactive primarily because they lack the experience and knowledge needed to do proactive long range patrols um, when the wealthy, when the weather is not flat calm. So then the question is, how do they become more experienced and knowledgeable uh, in these uh, proactive long-range patrols? Um, you know, if we know the route, and I know a lot of them tend to come, um, not exclusively, but they tend to come to East End, is that because the distance between East End and Jamaica is shorter? Or just because they feel like East End, that particular area of the island will be less manned. I don't know if you remember Alec, but a couple um, months ago we saw um, a vessel come aboard. We were there at Ocean Club that got ripped apart. I don't think they ever found the, the drugs because it seems like they will throw the packages overboard if they're running into any issues. But um, they, you know, couldn't find uh, the drugs or the men on board, but the vessel was shredded. Right now we have, I think, four or five men in court, Jamaican men, who are being charged with um, importation. And of course we catch, we do catch some of them obviously. Uh, and then we locked them up a few weeks ago. I was reporting on a Jamaican national who was being charged or concerned with importation of marijuana because uh, they caught him and he was crying that he had to spend prison in quarantine. I think, well, okay, man prison is one of the, probably one of the best prisons in the world. And here he is crying to the judge oh, please don't let me spend um, quarantine in prison because, you know, he can't even be part of the general population. So there's so many facets to this uh, issue, Alric. Someone else commented on, on WhatsApp, says, Sandra, the problem is not entirely with guns. Certain people, including civil servants, apparently, consider that all laws and regulations um, apply to them. They need to be reminded that we are all equal as per our constitution uh, this is for caption to from captain to cook, from judge to accused. So again, this concept that there is um, mentality um, in the situation. So someone else is saying that one of the reasons why the young man was shot at the um, jungle is because a lot of people saying it's retaliation because of him testifying against some brothers who were sent to the UK for murder. So you do have this trickle down effect. I had heard that um, as well yesterday. 
And you do have this trickle down effect that once you've entered this sort of gang lifestyle, um, it's hard to ever exit that lifestyle. So I'll, I think one of the solutions, and I guess if Dr. Frank was here listening to the program, he would certainly agree that one of the solutions is, oh, sorry, not the Everglow one. That was the, that was the jungle shooting. So the young man who was shot at least five times, it looks like somebody really wanted to, um, to take him out, but it's alleged, uh, he's a young man from West Bay, that he was um, involved in, in some sort of, um, you know, that he might've testified against some other people. So he's now a marked man. It's always, and I mean, you know, when you're a marked man like that, it's probably, you're gonna constantly be running for your life on an island this size. But um, Alric, the prevention is always better than cure, right? So when we talk about when we talk about this issue of gun violence, the topic of prevention um, has to be one that we take seriously, which means that we need to get into these families that we know are more likely to need intense intervention and help as soon as possible. I mean, I've had elementary school teachers tell me that by the first and second grade, they can look at certain children and predict with almost 100% accuracy which of those children will actually end up in the penal system in this country. So if we can predict that situation with such a degree of accuracy from, from teachers who are seeing them every day, and I think that that's important, then surely we have to have at that early stage um, some sort of intervention for not just the child, because, I mean, you're fortunate in that you said, you know, you made a decision, but of course there had to have been other things in your family, including your parents who were supportive of your decision. So imagine, for example, Alric, if you said, oh yeah, you know, I want to play squash. I want to do this. I want to do that. But your parents said, no. What if your parents had said, Alric, you want to play squash? I'm just going to pretend like I'm an ignorant Georgetowner right now. I am from Georgetown, by the way, so I'm not insulting Georgetowners, but I'm just going to tell you how it is because I know our people. They'd be like, oh, Sandra trying to make fun of them Georgetowners. No, I'm a Georgetowner and, um, you know, we have our ignorant moments. So let me just pretend to be ignorant for a second. All right. So here we go, Alric. Um, Alric, this, this, I'm your moment now, all right? Pretend to be your moment. Alric. Um, yeah, you what you want to play squash? Not, not for them white people, you know, what, what, you, what you know about playing squash? You're not going to play no squash around here. You better try and stay home. Um, so you see the point that I'm making, um, you know, being a bit facetious, but this is the reality of some children. They may want to get involved in activities, but because they have a degree of ignorance that they're surrounded by, sometimes from the very parents, it's the parents who are saying, you can't get involved in this activity. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, and they will stop their children from turning their lives around and from, you know, making quote unquote something of themselves. So that's why when you have these um, social programs, when you try to get children involved in things, it's not just the children that you have to go after, but you have to go after an adult who may have had a lifetime of all of the wrong messages, a lifetime of being in poverty. Um, and they say poverty begets poverty, violence begets violence. And when you're surrounded by those types of things as a constant, um, it becomes more difficult to take a child out of that environment, or I should say it becomes more difficult to take an entire family, an adult out of the environment, 
as opposed to a child, because you can remove a child and change the environment entirely. And that can give that child some hope, depending on number one, how you do it, how soon you do it in their lives, because at some point it becomes more difficult the older they are. Um, so the, the idea of having programs that allow social intervention at the family level is really, really critical. Can you speak to that even from a personal perspective, Alric? I'm sure your mother was very supportive um, of your efforts, but um, you know what I'm saying? Like if she wasn't, how would that have impacted you? Um, it, it would have still been up to me to make a choice, but it would have been a choice being under all that pressure, the pressure from the family unit, the pressure from friends, the pressure from strangers. So there would have still would have still been pressures out there, which would have led to me making a choice. And in, in my case, I was supported. But what you just said about a parent not supporting uh, something positive for a child, uh, while some people don't want to accept that that's the case, that is the case in some cases. I am aware of, you know, some parents speaking very aggressively uh, to children about situations and that causes the child to lose confidence and self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera, not realizing what their potential is. It, it, it does happen. You know, I, I've seen it happen the way some children are spoken to um, and as if they don't have it in value. So um, that's why I think the issue is a lot more complex than just putting a program over here or putting a program over there. You know, a, a politician may suggest that as a solution and that is part of the solution is, is to getting our young people interested in the existing programs um, or if, if the need is there to expand the existing programs, which there are many. I, I think it's a complex issue that goes deeper into the family and making choices and in continuing to encourage your young people in our society. It's a much deeper issue than just creating programs or getting them interested into programs. Uh, like I said, that's way, way above my pay grade. So I think, I think if you invited a sociologist on your show to try to give a a breakdown for all the different influences that you know cause families to be dysfunctional and cause you know people to take certain certain routes why people go into gang culture um you know i think invite your, your friend there um dr frank on the show to give a breakdown on all that i mean but i just want to say that it's easy for someone to say more programs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think it's a lot deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's trying to change the way that people think, which is one of the hardest things in the world to do. Um, so let me just read a few more comments. Another person says that, unfortunately, the Coast Guard um, is a new unit and the older veterans of the Marine unit had to reapply and pass a vigorous physical test which many were not able to pass. Because of that, the Coast Guard now only has a handful of experienced officers and the rest are green with no experience or knowledge. 
being book smart does not cut it. Experience is the key. Well, having said that to that person who's making that observation, this isn't um, a new um, issue. You know, we've been struggling with this for many years. So even these supposed um, seasoned veterans on the Marine unit, were they stopping any more drugs five, 10, 15 years ago than what we have now? I don't necessarily think that that's the case. Um, if anything, I think that we're probably catching more because of the fact that we have um, better technology that um, that makes it possible. So um, some interesting comments nonetheless, but I think the mentality, right? So let, let, me, let me think about this. And again, um, I have to pull in my own personal experiences. And I know that maybe sometimes people in my own family are uncomfortable that I use my own experiences, but I use it for two reasons. Number one, that's what I know. And um, number two, um, I want people out there to understand that I don't ever sit here. Um, I'm sitting at the moment, by the way, Alric, I'll stand up in another second, but I don't ever sit here in judgment of other people without having, because sometimes I do judge people, be clear about what I'm going to say. I don't sit here in judgment of other people without having had um, those experiences myself. So when I talk about, you know, teenagers starting to get into problems, when I talk about dysfunctional families, when I talk about, um, you know, emotional, psychological, physical abuse and all these things, I know what I'm talking about because I have had some experiences with that as well. The only difference in my life story, Alric, is that my father said, hold on a second here. Um, I see this pattern happen again with another one of my daughters. He had three daughters to my mother and I was the youngest. And he said, I need to remove you from this environment. So he thought, which worked for sure, that physically removing me from the environment would have been um, a life changer. And in fact, it was a life changer. Um, back in the days when it was easier to do that, I suppose, at the end of the day. Right. So that decision was made on my behalf. I didn't have any say in it. But it gave me opportunities. So Alric, when you talk about, you know, being involved in school programs and opportunities, it's more about, generally speaking, opportunities in life, right? So the opportunity to be around people who think differently, okay? So I was surrounded by people who thought I was going to be a failure. I often talk about, and I don't ever want to call this politician's name, um, but there was a politician who also served and in an academic capacity. And at some point she actually said to my mother that I needed to be placed in lighthouse school. So this is an educator. This is a principal of a school telling a parent, right. To basically give up on your child. And I don't know why she said that. Cause obviously there's really nothing wrong with me in terms of me being in lighthouse school. So I don't know why she said that to my mom. I don't know if I just wasn't reading at that age, or if I just was really quiet, or I don't know what was going on, why she felt like that was the right advice. But you have a community where people are willing to label you at a young age, tell your parents that this is a solution for you, give up on you um, before you've even had a chance in life, really. Um, because they're like, oh, well, you know, you just come from that kind of family where you're, you're guaranteed to be a failure. You're on the wrong side of the family because, you know, your, your sisters on the other side or brothers on the other side, they might have a better chance um, because community has set the standard where the community is going to say, oh, your father is so-and-so. So therefore you will amount to nothing. You grew up as an outside child. So you're not going to have the same 
rights, privileges, opportunities as the children who grew up um, inside of a marriage, right? So they're very complex social issues, Alric, that we need to be, and I know this is taken out where more thought, I mean, we were going to talk about traffic, but you know what, we'll leave traffic to another day because this is such an important topic. Um, there's all of these things, right, in our community um, that we do not accept, we're not willing to accept, that play a really, really important part. Do you know how many children have identity crisis issues because they have fathers who will not own them? I mean, this is legit a serious thing in Cayman. And those same children will look at others within their family who, okay, they were just fortunate enough that the parents were married, even though he might've been out there having a thousand affairs, he was still married to their mommy. So still, they still get the last name and the comforts of growing up in a household um, with two parents of being able to get all these things of having the opportunity to go off to university, to get an education. I mean, it's sad. I see Javid here saying that, you know, facts that I'm speaking facts. I'm telling you from personal experience, this is the reality unfortunately, that a lot of us are having to grow up in. We grew up in very dysfunctional homes before we're even born into this world. We're surrounded by people who don't see our potential, by people who are not willing to take a chance on uh, a child who, you know, every child has potential. So when you have the adults around them saying, oh yeah, that child not amount to nothing, um, just give up on them. Oh, you know, th th their mom is a drug, a coke head. Um, their father, not no good. He's this, he's that, he's a drunkard, whatever. So automatically these people um, are labeling us. They're putting us in a box and that's going to be your life. And you know what? I often say this, whatever your expectations are of people, they will live up to them. So if you expect nothing, they're going to live up to that. If you tell a child constantly day out and day in that you're not going to amount to anything, you're a nobody. Um, you know, I hear parents, oh, you just like your pa. What, what does that mean? That's not a compliment. You never hear a Caymanian saying, yeah, you just like your daddy or your mommy, whatever. And that's supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a way to put a child down. And that is a way to insult a child at their very core. You don't get to choose who your parents are. So you don't get to choose... Um, your mommy or your daddy or anybody in your family, those are people that you were just born into. So when people start to insult, I mean, it goes kind of low and I've had someone do this to me before, but it goes very, very low when they tell you, oh, you're just like your parent and you will never amount to anything. You will never be able to do better than them. Um, it's sad to think that we have children day in and day out in this community who are growing up in those types of dysfunctional homes. And my issue is if that's what parents are doing or other people in their families are doing to them, right? Which are the people who are supposed to love them, who are supposed to care for them, at, for them. If they don't get any positive reinforcement from other adults in their lives, you know who they turn to? They turn to the peers around them who are going to give them, even though it's negative reinforcement, who will still make them feel like they belong. Oh, yeah, you can be part of our gang. You can hang out with us. You know, we're going to look out for you. Those people may not understand loving you, but they got your back in some sort of way, and they're going to look out for you. You know, they're going to encourage you to do all sorts of bad things with them, but at least you feel like, okay, these people accept me. They understand me. They know who I am. 
we don't want to have these conversations, Alec, because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable that we have nothing new, but a whole generation of men who have had children all over the place that they are not being good fathers to their children. You know, young men out there having 10, 12 children, how do you find the time as a father, if you have a job, to try to be there for those children, to spend time with them, to teach them what a father's good love is supposed to be like, right? Um, Not to say that you have to be with the mother, but there is this whole concern that men are able to produce and have children, abandon them quite easily, not as, you know, a lot easier than women, let's put it that way. Women are capable of doing it as well. I'm not saying that's not the case, but you have this disconnection uh, with your parents. And then you have a society as a whole that when they see you being born into certain situations, they automatically write you off. How can we change that, Alric? Because if that's how you start your life story, we all have to accept that, um, you know, (laughs) you are already on a rocky road to just having some real critical issues in your life. So how, how do we address those issues? How do we teach fathers to be there for their children? Number one, you don't need five, six, 20 children this day and age for sure, because you can't afford it. But number two, if you have a child, you have to be willing to commit to that child, to spending time with that child. And a lot of times that's why young people in their 20s shouldn't be having children because they're just not ready. You know what I'm saying? What are your thoughts about some of these? I know it's a lot and I know it's very complex and it's very emotional for a lot of people. Um, Let's read some of the comments. Javid says rehabilitation centers are essential to building skills. What are your thoughts? Not just rehabilitation centers. Why don't we have a family center? Why don't we have a place where parents can go drop off their kids in the afternoon and not drop them off and leave them, listen to me very carefully, but a center where they can go into a parenting class. The kids can do do after school tutoring, after school, um, you know, basketball and other sporting activities, whatever, all at one facility. And then the parents, because it's a family center, can go in for counseling. They can go into a session and, okay, um, my child is now eight or nine and they're asking me certain questions about sexuality um, or sex or whatever that I don't know how to answer as a parent. Um, How can I get some help on this? So you have professionals under one umbrella, under one heading that can provide that level of expertise to people in the community. So, you know, the parents are not together, but they can attend and get help and get the counseling that they need while the kids are in a safe environment, an after-school program, getting help with tutoring or homework or whatever. Magdalene says there are a lot of programs, but it comes back to the family unit and the child themselves. Check the swim free program, which is free. Football, Boy Scouts, Cadet, Girl Brigade. Many youth programs are offered by churches and even with free pickup and drop off and buses, um, not that many children attend. So again, I think, unfortunately, Magdalene, if the parents don't see the benefit of um, these types of programs, they um, won't have children participating. So Alvick says, again, by playing squash, Alvick, perhaps I'll let you expound on that a little bit there that you've written. Yeah, well, I was actually responding to, I think Mark, Mark made a comment earlier 
you know, um, that squash is not going to make you money. So what, what squash actually did was change my environment and change what I was exposed to on a daily basis. And I, I remember um, I, I wasn't actually going to go to university initially. And a friend of mine said that he had applied for the scholarship to go overseas. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll try it, right? I'll, I'll try to go overseas and study as well. But the thing is, when I went to the interview for the scholarship, the guy who was doing an interview, who was a partner in the accounting firm, he was one of the people that I played squash with on a weekly basis. So had I not been playing squash, I would have not made that connection. And I would have not gotten the scholarship that easily because our conversation in, in, in the interview, it wasn't really about um, me being a smart kid. The thing is, because of our interaction, he had already had an opportunity over a number of years on the squash court, assessing my character and who I was and what my abilities were beyond the classroom. So I think that by the time I got to that interview, because I had that exposure to the sport and to a different network of people who could provide opportunities, when I actually got to the interview, it was pretty relaxed. It was just, how are things going? Um, yes, we'll, we'll support you with your university degree. That story may have been different for someone else who had to go in and explain themselves and justify why they should get the scholarship. Mm -hmm. So your environment, from my experience, the environment can have a huge impact, what you're exposed to on a daily basis, what surrounds you, what comments you hear, positive or negative, what encouragement you have, what motivation you get that eventually turns you into this person that says, you know, I, I can do this. You know, I have a value. Um, so for me, the environment is very important to how that person develops and how they think about themselves, how they think about the outside world. So it might be discounted, but mm. personally, my experience is that the environment is extremely important. And going back to what um, what I think Javid Paris has said earlier about rehabilita rehabilitation, I think rehab is extremely important. Mm. I think that it's getting better in Cayman, but I think we're long overdue in terms of getting a large rehab facility that we could use both for medical tourism and for you know our own people locally. Because what well, what happens, you know, I'll just be honest, what happens is a Kimayan will go to prison, and yes, there are some uh, carpentry and mechanic and other programs in a prison. And the problem is if the person is not linked to a job on their way out of prison, then it becomes very difficult when they get back into the real world. The thing is, some some of the employers are going to look at the, the record and not look at the ability for this person to reform and become a positive contributor to society. What happens is, uh, in many cases, 
they look at the record and they say, well, you have a record and we can't give you this job. And so what happens is some people then make the choice to go back to the lifestyle they were living before. I'm, I'm not making excuses for anyone. I'm just saying that's how it is. You know, I know guys that they they can't get a job and I know they've been trying because I've also tried to, I've also circulated their resumes. I've also talked to people for them. And what always seems to come back is, you know, the person has a record, um, you know, we can't proceed with that person. And so what happens? The person then starts selling weed to, to make an income or start robbing or doing something illegal. So it's not always that the person is a bad person and they made a bad choice. It's a, a, a multitude of things that sometimes leads to them making a bad decision. And at, at the end of the day, if a guy has to feed his family and he feels he, he has to go sell weed to make some money to do it, then that's what he's going to do based on the choices he thinks that, that are the opportunities he thinks are available to him. You know, um, it's I'm not like like I say, I'm not making any excuses for anyone making bad choices. I'm just speaking to the reality of what it is. I, I, I know people who make these decisions to go sell drugs to make money because no one wants to give them a chance. They're trying to do something better to become better in, in society, make a contribution to society, but nobody gives them a chance. So, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that that's how it is. That's how I see it happening, you know, on, on the street. So. Yeah. So someone has said to me, Lighthouse School for you, that teacher must be somewhat embarrassed today. Um, I don't think that they, they may not even remember this, but again, this is how um, you can do things and impact children and not even know of the, of the impact that your words and your suggestions to parents are having on their lives. The irony of it is this person went on to be a politician. And this is where I am concerned um, that, you know, we are time and time again, putting people in leadership positions in our schools, for example, who don't even understand the basics of what our children need. They're supposed to be educators, and yet they can make recommendations and determinations about children that is directly detrimental um, to their life outcome. So how are we ever going to succeed as a country? Like every individual life matters, and every individual story matters, and every family matters. Um, Brandon says, uh, yeah, boy, speak it, Sandy. Um, Magdalena says, Caymanian young men suffer their own fathers are absent and they um, go on to be absentee fathers themselves. And this is the, this is the point. We continue to repeat history um, or people are not learning from one generation to the next because, you know, a lot of times back in the day I would sit down, I'd watch Oprah. And one of the things that occurred to me when she'd interview people and they were always like, you know, my mother was a bad mother. She did this. She did, and I, I am hell bent. I'm not going to do that. And then they end up doing the exact same thing. It occurred to me that as human beings, we are, we find it very difficult to not do what we know. So in other words, what you are exposed to, so even when Alaric is talking about squash isn't about paying the bills, it's not about paying you so you see, it's, it's about exposure. It teaches you 
a skill set, but more importantly, it exposes you to different types of people in life. You get to see things and look at things differently. And that ultimately impacts how you think. Because this is the thing. You're trying to get inside people's heads. You're trying to understand and change how people think, which is one of the most difficult things in the world. So if you have grown up in an environment with people who think a certain way, who speak a certain way, who act a certain way, your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. And what does it say in the end? Your habits become your destiny. Because one day you've lived an entire lifetime of engaging in the same behavior, speak, thinking the same way, speaking the same words. The words then become your actions, doing the same thing, day in and day out, becomes a habit. And you're at the end of your life and you're like, damn, this has been my life. And no one understood that the way to arrest the situation, the way to change the situation is to start here, changing the way our people think. And that is hard to do without a doubt. I'm not saying you're saying, oh, Leon, let's just flip a switch. That's difficult. But there are programs, social programs and intervention that can happen that you can change that slowly but surely. And that's how we start to change the outcomes of people's lives. Charles Whitaker, when I listen to Charles and I hear him talk about how he, um, you know, has lived a life being influenced by someone like a Dalmine, having a mentor and being put into boxing that taught him some discipline and you had to show up and he was like, okay, I want to do something different with my life. That was his ticket out. That was his way out to a better life. And, you know, I sit down and I listen to um, Charles a lot and I hear him quote. I mean, Charles is one of the most intelligent, and passionate people that I know. And I hear him quote things that I know he's read, even about what the Bible says about so man think thinketh, so is he. You know, Charles is just, I mean, some of the quotes that Charles puts out, I'm like, damn, this man sure can remember a lot of things. You know, he has a wonderful memory. That's why I was so, I got to tell you, that whole incident between him and Tracy, one of the most egregious parts of that for me was listening to her as a Black woman put him down and especially about his intelligence, telling this man that he is so, I can't remember the exact words that she used on him, but basically telling him that he was stupid and, you know, like he doesn't have any sense because he's had too many licks in the head and there's nothing farther from the truth. First of all, Charles is a very intelligent man. Um, despite never having gone to university, any of those things, you know, he speaks a lot of things that shows he has wisdom, which in, in that moment she was clearly lacking. But that really hurt me because I think, I wonder if she recognizes not just what she's saying to Charles, because at this point in his life, he's solid. You know, her opinion of him isn't going to influence him. But there are other young men out there, Caymanian young men, who are listening to those same words and they hear it every day from people. Oh, something wrong with you. You're not going to amount to anything. And th that is the danger in the messages that we send to people because that becomes their internal programming and their internal recording. And then they start to live that life that shows that they don't even value their own lives. Blissful Powell says, thank you, Sandy. Um, you just told the whole truth behind uh, some of us who have had to endure until we get a better way. Um, it, it is unfortunate, but I can completely relate. Uh, Magdalene says networking is what it's all about. 
Um, I can attest to that. My son also played squash and the rest is history, as Alex said. Alex says that we also need to have the conversation. The issue is deeply rooted. Well, that's that's what we're doing here this morning, folks. We're having the conversation. Um, and sometimes these conversations make us uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable isn't um, a sin. What, what is that? Charles always says this as well. He says that, um, what's that one... <laughs> What's that one thing he says about offending people, um, not being, uh, oh God, I have to ask him of that one. The truth offending people. Um, and he always sends me the most amazing quotes like every single morning. So Magdalene says, Sandy, my children went to public school, but I exposed them to the other side through their extracurricular extra sorry, activities, some free and some I had to pay for. Um, Javid says, absolutely agree. There needs to be more integration programs. Good morning, Roxy. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Kristen says, Alec, you're speaking the truth. And this is why, let me be very frank with you guys. I think as adults, even if we are dysfunctional, which we all have our issues, we all come with our own baggage and very packed in very unique ways sometimes. Um, sometimes you have to recognize that, um, the, the most you can do is to give your children the opportunities that you didn't have. So I'm able in my own personal life to identify um, certain things that growing up as a child that were not good for me, that were not beneficial. And so it is imperative for me to not repeat history. And like I said, oftentimes I sit and watch Oprah and boy, here we go again, the same history. You have to make a conscious decision to not do it. And even making a conscious decision isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to get professional help to be able to get over those hurdles that allow you to reverse that negative behavior because automatically that's where you go to, you know? So we see it all the time when people get upset, no matter how professional or polished they are, they tend to revert back to, you know, that kind of caveman mentality, whatever they grew up with. So if they were a fighter as a kid and you put them in a certain zone, trust me, they're coming out with all, you know, boxing gloves on and they want to literally tear you apart because that's how they know to react when they're feeling the stress of a situation or when they're feeling cornered. That fighter flight mechanism doesn't always give people the benefit of being able to say, okay, let's talk about this. Let's, let's work this out because that's not what they knew. They don't know anything about working it out or talking about it. They know about cursing your behind out and fighting it out. And so it takes practice and it takes time and it takes like sometimes just pulling back a minute and saying, okay, I can't react in this way because this isn't going to get me anywhere and this can actually be detrimental. So Magdalene, uh, Javid, um, Alric, when we talk about trying to help the next generation, we have to, I think, in the first instance, um, start with ourselves. So Moya says we have a large part of the Caymanian population of fathers who have been before maintenance courts to contribute financially, who to this day have not assisted financially with their child's life and the courts are not following up. And that is a whole other system that really needs to be addressed. The court should require them <clears throat> to do the different uh, parenting classes. And we need to figure out a way to get this generation of fathers to step up so that we can break the cycle of the next generation of potential fathers. Um, I don't know where Bruce Smith has been recently, but this is a topic that Bruce would love. 
And so I agree um, that there is a real issue with fathers being deadbeat fathers. Now, here's what I also know. As a woman, right, um, we need to make better decisions. And I'm going to just lay it on the line. You can like it or don't like it. As they say, like it or lump it. It doesn't really matter. But here's the God's honest truth. As a woman, you have to make certain decisions in your life. Who you want to be in a relationship with. There are a lot of us that need to start making better choices. Uh, you get involved with men who are emotionally and physically unavailable because sometimes there's somebody else's man. Um, that's a problem. And a lot of us have been there. I'm not throwing any shade and whatever. These are decisions that we all need to get better with. Okay. Um, the other thing is you need to look at a man, not just as a partner for yourself. So maybe the sex is good. I don't know what, what gets everybody excited these days, but you need to obviously look beyond that. What kind of father is this man going to be? Right. If, if I want to have children with him, what kind of father is this man going to be? Does he have a job? Criteria number one, does he have a skill set to even get a job? Is he the type of person who's going to hold a job down? Right? Okay. Well, sometimes you get these professionals, they can hold down a job, they've got a job, they're lawyers, doctors, whatever. But that doesn't mean that they want any children at that point in time in their life. Maybe they don't even want a child with you. These are things you really have to consider before you get pregnant for anybody. Right? Uh, you need to have conversations with that person. Do you want children? So we're not going to be using the Britney Spears method of, oops, I did it again. We're going to plan a family if that's what we want, right? Um, how about this concept? How likely is a man going to commit to you if he can't commit to you in marriage first? I'm just saying. He's going to commit to the child, maybe. If he's a good man, he would do that. But, you know, y'all are just popping out babies from men who have a lack of commitment. They're not there yet. They may never be there. So then the question becomes, um, at what point as a woman do you take control of the situation? Because you're actually the person who gets pregnant. You are going to be the bearer of the children. And I'm not saying that people don't get married and things still don't work out. That happens every single day. But I think you give yourself a much better chance if you look at the criteria in someone that you want to be in a relationship with and you don't have to be, here's a shocker, Alric, you know, I said yesterday in the program, I'm not here to thump a Bible and to be a prude. You don't have to be in a relationship with someone just because you want to sex them up. Sometimes it's just what these young people call a hit and run or whatever they call it, a midnight booty call or whatever. Let's just have an honest conversation here. There are times when people want to engage in that type of thing for a minute. If you're practicing safe sex, then that's your business if you're an adult and the other person is a consenting adult. What I'm saying is you don't make decisions in those types of relationships that will bring children into that environment because number one, that person isn't committed to you. I can't believe how many young people, young girls are out there getting pregnant by men who have proven themselves four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times to be a deadbeat father. And here comes this little girl, some of them not that young, in their 30s who think, oh yeah, he's going to change for me. And I look at them and go, why? What do you bring to the table that you think the other five baby mamas didn't bring to the table? 
I, I know he been telling you that you different, you special, but really looking at it objectively, do you think that it has anything to do with you? If this man is already a deadbeat father, Alec, uh, tell me if I'm right or I'm, I'm, I'm right, because I know I ain't wrong, <laughs> right? You have someone who's been a deadbeat father five times. Why do you think number six is going to be the lucky charm? Um, I, I can only, I can only tell you my experience and being around friends that, um, you know, they're they're known to be players, but yeah. it's it's just that some girls feel that you know it's it's I, I think um, maybe maybe they're curious about what makes the guy that way. You know, he he's this or he's that. He appears to be this or appears to be that, mm -hmm. and. I think some of it is just curiosity, oh. um, or or maybe the guy is, is just attractive, and and the person is only interested in the physical part of the other person. Yeah, um, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I get it. I understand. Yeah, it, it it is what it is, right? But it's hard. It's hard because you see, each person is on their own journey. Yeah, trying to figure out who they are, what they want in life. So it's it's really tough to say. You know, I, I know what you're saying. You don't understand why why some people um, make those choices. But the thing is, everybody's on a different journey. Right. And depending on where, where they are in their journey, if they have the wisdom, if they don't have the wisdom yet, mm -hmm. they're going to make certain choices. And those choices are going to surprise you. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think I think it's a. Uh, but even, uh -huh. even when people are on their own journey, tell me if you agree with this, Alric. Um, when you talk to people, and this is the benefit of the concept of mentorship, right? So sometimes when you talk to people who are somewhere else in their life journey, the benefit of that, if you are the type of person who will listen and don't have to make your same mistakes, because I always say there's no need to reinvent the wheel, is that you can learn from other people who are at different places in their life journey. So you don't have to make the same mistakes, right? So like I said, when I see these young girls thinking, oh, I'm baby numbers, baby mama number six, and he's going to do better than me. I sit back and I'm like, wow, his history hasn't proved that. And one of the other things that they do now is that's like a big thing in the world of social media is they try and social media shame the other baby mamas. Like, oh, look at my little one. Isn't she extra cute? And I'm like, she can be extra cute all she wants but give it six months or a year. And then we can see how much um, daddy dearest is going to be productive in your life or her life. So it's like this, Oh, I'm going to up one you um, because I've got him right now in this point in time and nobody in their right mind really wants that man anyway, you know? Um, so um, let's see. We have Moya says there's nothing but truth being told today. Uh, Magdalene says, you're right. Johan is here listening. He says, Alec, remember the bro code. Um, Wakanda forever. <laughs> Johan, you're an idiot. <laughs> Some days. Um, Julie says, so true, Sandra. They end up on NAU and he's gone with his mean squeeze. He don't even have a mean squeeze. He's got like five squeezes. He's squeezing everybody is a problem. Um, Jasara says, I can't with, with Sandy, you know. <laughs> but I'm just telling the truth. It is what it is. Like we need to think more logically. This is This is my point think a little bit more logically about relationships and learn from people who are progressing in the direction that perhaps you want to progress in. 
We're all going to make stupid mistakes. We're going to do this stuff. My big thing is don't bring a child into that situation. If your journey isn't where you're a bit more settled and you're ready for the commitment of having a child, because believe me, that's a hell of a commitment, then I think the thing to do is go out there and enjoy yourself and just be careful. Triple wrap it and don't make any stupid decisions in that moment. We're talking about our book club. Just stick a pin in it. And um, I've got some great ideas for a book club. Alwick, I want you to uh, be an honorary member of our book club. <laughs> I'm going to force you to read um, along with us. We haven't started a name for a book club, but listen, the end of the month is our fourth anniversary. Two things we're going to kick off in time for our fourth anniversary is our book club, and we are going to kick off our youth program. So Alwick, um, I am offering you the first Honorary, honorary membership um, into the CMR book club. We don't know what we're going to call it yet. We're still trying to figure out some names. I know we've had some recommendations. So would you be willing to accept um, being part of our book club? I think first you need to clarify for your audience that your four-year anniversary is not, is not me and you. It's uh, CMR. Oh. <laughs> no, everybody knows CMR's anniversary is coming up. Yes, what, on what? The, uh, the 29th. You know, all those close interviews, you know, people start spreading rumors. So. Oh, Lord. No, no, no. I think everybody knows I'm a happily married woman. Um, I don't know about his status, but I'm, I'm on lockdown. Thank you. Um, um, but yes, do you read books? Do you enjoy reading books? Yes. Yeah, I know so, you read a lot of documents, but that's different, right? Yeah. Um, well, sometimes when, when your job is reading, reading documents, you actually just want to break and not read outside your work. But um, I I bought a bunch of books um, in the last couple of months. So these are stories of the slavery in, uh, in Haiti and a the revolution there. Okay. Um, also just talking about ways to build your mind as a, as a human being. And that's kind of the theme, history, it's kind of the theme of the the books that uh, I've bought over the last couple of months. So, so yeah, I'm happy to be part of the book club. Yes. And, uh, so, what what is a list of books that you have planned? Well, I have a whole slew of books actually, and I um I like books that expand your mind and help you learn. So, I don't read fiction personally. So I think that we need to have someone in the book club who can probably, you know, get us into some fiction, but I like things that are going to help me. So one of the books that I actually want, I think is maybe our first, I'm going between two. One is kind of a relationship book. Um, but in my personal con collection, I have two that are easy reads and I think would um, be very good. And the first one is called the rules of work. It's an awesome little book not complicated. It's about the unspoken truth about getting ahead in business. And I read this many, many years ago, and I feel like I need a refresher. And then the other one, which I was thinking about recently, but I couldn't remember the name of it. And then it came back to me is called, it's called, if love is a game, these are the rules. So I don't think I, I, I don't think I have the physical book, but I will find the ebook and um, we're going to get on it. So um, Jasari says there's a book on Amazon called I'm Not the Girl I Used to Be that speaks a lot of truth about men and relationships. Ooh. So we could be reading books forever. But I say um, because I want us to delve into 
our books a little bit deeper, how much time do you think you need to, to read the average book? I know some of y'all are speed readers. I like to really think and pause when I'm reading a book. So this book has um, a, a total of 80, of 90 rules um, about uh, the rules of work. And there's a few others by the same author. Um, there's actually a few more that are bonus um, parts. One is called Handle the Opposition. So the, the politicians might need this one. Um, it says identify the opposition is rule number 91. Study them closely, rule number 92. Yeah, politicians need this part. Rule number 93, don't backstab. Lord Jehovah, was this written for the Cayman Islands government? Uh, 94 says know the psychology of promotion. Uh, 95, don't give away too much. 96, keep your ear to the ground. That's a CMR rule. We always get our ears to the ground. Uh, number seven, 97, make the opposition seem irreplaceable. <laughs> number 98, don't damn the opposition with, with faint praise. So there's a lot of really good things in here. And this one's easy to read. Like, I feel like everyone could read this and um, really walk away with something. Chris Jackson says, real men aren't born. They're made with proper guidance of family and friends. Trust is a huge factor for Caribbean men. Uh, thank you for that, Chris. Very, very true. Uh, Catherine says, good morning, Sandy and Alric and CMR crew. Thank you, Catherine, for logging on. So we've gone a little bit into overtime. Alric, thank you so much for coming on the program. I enjoy having you in the show because I think you're open to having just about any discussion. It doesn't always have to be about politics, but our lives are not just um, sort of scripted where it's just about politics. There's so much more to it than that. As we see this morning, even relationships and understanding the flow and ebb of those can make a difference in some of the life decisions that we make. So we should have a show just on relationships and Cayman, you know? Well, what I mean, you? we did it this morning. That's Go part ahead. of the discussion. Because as you as you rightfully said, people are, are on different paths, different journeys, right? and even in different places in the journey. But collectively, if we don't help people on their journey, we are losing the entire farm. We're losing the plot. So we can't, you know, yes, everybody has a right to be an individual, to think for themselves and to do their own thing, right? Even the royal family has had to learn that recently. Not everyone is gonna tow the family line. They're gonna be breakouts. Um, people who just want to be, they're going to be different. That's just who they are. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if we have some fundamental aspects of the journey that we encourage uh, that people are on how to do the journey in a safe way and still be very unique and, um, you know, do your thing, then as a society, we all benefit from that. We will all be better for it. So I love Al. Al is, is um, very different. You know, obviously he's artistic. He thinks differently and he's a different kind of man, you know? Um, and I think that he brings a lot of, even to this program, when he makes his comment comments, he brings a lot of interest um, to this show because he thinks a little bit different than probably the average Cayman in. He's, he's very, very broad um, and free thinking in how he, he perceives the world. Uh, Velva wants to know the author of this book. So let me um, give you some information on this one. Because I do think, like I said, 
this will be our first um our first uh one that we go for so this one is called the rules of work and you can actually find these i'm just having a quick look to see if it's on amazon because sometimes it's hard to find um it's hard to find books that are let me just see here it's hard to find um to find books like physical books in Cayman. So this one is available on Amazon. I'm just having a quick look here. Um, the original book is a 2010 one, looks like. Let me just see. Um, no, it's actually 2008. 11th printed um, edition. So it's been around for a minute. But you can still get what looks like a newer version from 2010. I don't know what might have changed in that one. On Amazon, it's available in paperback and Kindle. So, folks, save a tree. Um, Kindle means that it is, uh, you know, you can download it on a device. So let me just show it to you here on Amazon. So you can just download it on your device here. And you can look it up. When you go to Amazon, you look it up. It'll tell you. Here it is. The Rules of Work, a definitive code for personal success. It's by Richard Templar. That's his name, the author. And it's available in paperback and Kindle. Now, I know some of y'all love a paperback. Uh, this particular one, I have the paperback version. But believe it or not, um, I don't have a lot of paperback versions because I like ebooks. So you can get it cheaper. You save a lot of money when you go with the ebook because they don't have to print it. <laughs> so it's saving a tree. The other benefit of this is it's available instantaneously. You can download it right away. You don't have to wait. Oh, you guys are looking at stuff that I have in my Amazon cart, by the way. A couple things, my daughter. Um, so this is a great one uh, that I think we should start with as our first book. You guys give me your feedback. And then... I am also a person that loves, so I would get the Kindle version if I'm going to get the updated version. And then I also, um, look at this. He does a whole series of books. The Rules of Parenting. Oh, my God. We totally need that one. The Rules of Life. The Rules of Management. The Rules of Money. Oh, can we just start with all of his books? The Rules of Love. Hello. Jeez, on peace. The rules to break. So we even get to break a few. Oh, I love this. I think we need to do them all. So let's start with the rules of work. I've actually not read any of the others. So that would be a new experience for me. So uh, let's get them all. And in fact, do if I click on this, do I get them all? Like I can buy, yeah, I can buy the entire series of all eight books at what looks like a discounted price of um, 119.32 with one click, let me not hit it yet, but that's the, that's the Kindle version. So we can buy them all on Kindle. And let me just see if they have them in, um, you know, the audio bookstore, which is Audibles, but Amazon purchased Audibles a number of years ago. So let me just try um, the rules rules of work. Let me see if it's available in Audible as well. Audible, uh, the rules of work. So they have it here, yes. And it's available for one credit. 
So this is where it'll read it to you. Yep, so that's it there, looks like. Uh, we just wanna make sure this is the same one. Um, it's telling me that I have a default payment. Hmm, that's strange, I always have a default payment. I think I need to, um, I have. Um, I actually have Audible credits because I'm an Audible member. So I accrue credits. So I think it's not seeing, oh, see it says over here, audiobook one credit instantly available because I think one of mine was gonna expire. So, um, Richard, this looks like it's been updated 2012. Let's listen to a quick sample. And then I have a credit, so I can actually purchase it with one of my credits and I don't have to spend any money. So let me see. Let's listen. Rule 41. Use please and thank you. Hmm. You would have thought this one so obvious, so basic, and so fundamental that surely it can't be part of the rules. Sorry, but we all need reminding. And please and thank you is terribly important. That doesn't happen enough. People say that they are too busy or too helpful, or it should be taken as read that they have said them, and they don't need to each and every time. Rubbish. The only reason please and thank you get forgotten is plain old bad manners. If we start ignoring even the basic levels of human decency and politeness, then there really is no point in any of us being here. We aren't civil and civilized enough to thank someone or to be bothered enough to say please, then it really is time to pack it in. It doesn't matter how many times a day someone passes you the paper. It is thank you every single time without fail or exception. Mm. It doesn't matter how many times you have to ask for the same thing. You always say please. If someone does something for you, no matter how mundane, trivial, repetitive, boring, effortless, will always say thank you. You forget one time, and you will be labeled as rude, boorish, and unpleasant. Make someone's day and don't forget. Please, thank you. Hmm. I once worked with a manager who could get staff to work the graveyard shift, come in on their holidays, work overtime, work their days off, take work home with them, work on weekends, and work harder than any other manager could. We all watched him trying to work out what it was he was doing that we weren't. He was getting loyalty from his team that we weren't. I know you are ahead of me at this stage and have got your hand up with the answer. He said, please, and thank you. Yes. Happy now? He did indeed. And that simple bit of politeness went a long way. Wow, interesting. All right, so you can get a little snippet. Um, that voice isn't the most interesting voice in the world, I have to admit, because some are really animated and some are really interesting. But um, Alric, I think we can work with it. There's definitely been some changes to the book because for me, use please and thank you is actually rule number 37, not 45. So I think that they have updated it. So I definitely need to get um, an updated version of this book. So yes, folks, um, save your coins. You can get it for less than $15. Um, if you do Kindle, it looks like, um, I think it depends. I see it here, available here, uh, this particular one for $9.99. And then the paperback is a little bit more. So I think it's because um, when you're an Audible member, I think they give you discounts unlike some of the other things as well. But here's the thing. Do you guys know that Amazon actually has both the Kindle, you can join the Kindle club. So you get, you pay a monthly fee and you get so many credits each month, as well as I think they have something similar with Kindle where you can be part of um, like a Kindle club or whatever. But because I have the option, I can't remember which one it is now, but I have some book option 
with Kindle, um, I can actually borrow a book uh, and read it for a certain amount of time and loan it to other people and then give it back. So I don't necessarily have to purchase it. And there's like a nominal fee for that. And then there's some books that I get to read for free. So um, I'll have to look at what options are available to me. But yeah, I have some kind of book club thing that I do with them where I can read stuff for free as well. All right, Albert, get your copy of The Rules of Work. We will do the entire eight series. I feel like that would be a good start to a book club. And that should take us um, a little bit of time to get through. We'll go through some of these. But that, that rule that we were just hearing there, isn't that amazing? It's so simple. Um, just say please and thank you. But doesn't it make a big difference when you're dealing with people? when they say those things to you, Alric, do you find that makes a difference? Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking about what Al said earlier, you know, uh, you know what you don't want mostly. These are the people mostly know what they don't want. And so you can make less mistakes going forward, but then. I think he you said you should, you should know. I don't know if he said most people don't, I don't think he said most people know. He said that you should know what you don't want. And then that's how you make fewer mistakes. Yeah, he said, I always believed one should mostly know what right. they want. You make less mistakes. Yes. But but that also depends on what experience you have, right? So yeah. you you can, I think the more experience you have, mm -hmm. the more you can say, well, I don't want that in my life. Mm. Because, but that's mostly based on you have an indirect experience. Obviously, you can learn from seeing what, ha what happens to others too. Mm, but mm -hmm. some people don't learn from what happens to others. For they example, themselves. I, 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 um, I know this guy that um, he tells anyone he's going to be involved, in, involved with in a relationship, mm -hmm. he actually tells them that he's not serious and he just wants mm -hmm. to have fun. But for some reason, mm -hmm. uh, the girl always uh, the girl always tries to to, to um, hold him down, and it never works. And the girl always gets hurt. But in, in this particular case, he always actually says up front that he's not interested in any, any relationship. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you can learn from watching what happens with other people. Mm -hmm. But you know, sometimes when you don't have a lot of experience or you didn't learn from your own experience, you tend to repeat that same thing because maybe, maybe it's the adrenaline that you get from being involved in, in those types of situations. So I, again, it goes back to what we said earlier about where you are on your journey because everyone is in a different place on their journey. Right. So uh, interesting. Um, yeah. So you want to have like a book club Thursday or one day of the week where? Um, I haven't worked out the precise details of when we will incorporate our book club into the session. So let's have a, a think about how we want to do that. Um, but we know for sure we're going to do a book club. Now we've chosen the first book. So those are the first two steps. And let's work out the details of, of when we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. People, like I have friends that read a book in two days. No, so, we need to give people time, uh, I mean, child. We, I think we need to do it in small bits and people. Like, that's why I like this book, because we can go through each rule, like maybe do one rule a week 
um, because the, each rule isn't very complicated to work your mind around. Um, so this kind of allows you to set a very um, easy to follow schedule and how we could do it. So we could break this up and maybe, you know, look at two rules every time that we do our book club or whatever. So let's, let's look at the details. You guys send me your feedback. 324-1612 is the WhatsApp number. Let me know how often you think um, you'd want to discuss what's on our book club and so forth. Do you want it to be like an evening session? Do you want to stick it to the morning show? Um, don't forget, you can also join our news notification list at the same number. All right. Thank you so much for always being uh, game to come on the program and to having all sorts of um, community and political discussions. We didn't get through some of the other stuff that we wanted to talk about, which is traffic woes in the Cayman Islands. And this new announcement by the G7, which I think is really, really important. Shall we prioritize the G7 discussion for um, next week? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's 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 not exactly something new. I mean, what what they're doing and what the OECD countries are doing is is, is very similar. Um, so I think people need to be educated more in the public in Cayman because sometimes we think, oh, it's not my area, and mm -hmm. so I shouldn't take any interest. Or I'm not interested. But but the thing is, what is being proposed by some of the big countries uh, will hit our financial services industry. Mm -hmm. And as you know, many people are employed in the financial services industry, whether that's accountants or yeah. lawyers or secretaries, administrators. So we need to constantly stay abreast of what's happening what pressures we're, we're being faced with internationally. Mm -hmm. And once we are abreast of those things, we, we can then pressure our, our government to make sure they're taking steps and being proactive and respect of those things. So the whole, what, what's mentioned by the G7 is interesting, but it's not new. So not, not to go into any detail, but we have two similar issues, one with G7, and one with OECD, and they both really focus on what is a tax haven and what what some countries are uh, upset about is that their investors are leaving their countries and putting the money in other countries. Now, what I would say is that it, it is not the, the fault of, of Cayman or any other uh, jurisdiction with high integrity. It's not our fault that we are a place that have less regulations than another jurisdiction or have more attractive uh, structures, structures than other uh, jurisdictions. It's not our fault that we have something attractive and a big country doesn't have something attractive. So to keep it simple, that's what's happening here is that they uh, are trying to change. They're trying to. The big countries are trying to change the definition of what they think is harmful to them. So, what they're looking at is all of the countries that have an attractive system where they either have no tax or low tax. So, no tax or low tax are the things that the big countries are saying that some of these smaller jurisdictions have. 
And the big, big countries don't like that because most of these big countries have a tax rate and they use that revenue to build roads and provide hospitals and fight wars. Whereas we, we don't have a direct tax, income tax rate. We do have in, we do have indirect taxes, but we don't have direct taxes on you know corporate profits uh, stuff like that. Which in the U.S. they do have um, taxes on corporate profits. So what has happened over the years is that some of the big companies like Google and Facebook they had their headquarters in other countries outside the U.S. and the, the, the rules over the years in different countries have varied. So one of the things that they used to look at was where the headquarters of the business was to determine whether or not you were tax resident in a certain country. Mm-hmm. And so some of these structures were done in a way so that it would minimize their tax in, in the big countries. So they had their headquarters located in- I I don't want us to, Alec, we've got to end the show. So I don't want us to get too deep into this conversation because I want you to actually be able to really break it down for people. So I don't want to rush you. Um, We are after 10 o'clock and I've actually got to run off to court. We've got a few things to report on today, but um, stick a pin in it until next week. And then we will go into it in proper, um, you know, discourse and detail and hopefully explain it properly to people so that we understand um, so Al, uh, keep it locked. We will continue to have that discussion as well. And, um, I thank you guys so much for tuning into the program today. Alric, as usual, thank you for joining us and we shall see you next week back for truthful, uh, Tuesday. Okay. Thanks. All right. Good folks. That's all she wrote. Um, you guys have a wonderful day. There's a couple of things popping off at court today that I definitely want to keep you guys abreast of, and I'm already running late. So let me just jettison out the door and I'll let you guys know what's going on there. You guys have a wonderful day and uh, we'll speak soon. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings. 